You're listening to episode 151 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. All right, cool. Uh, none of us. <laughs> Great opening bit, guys. This is the best we've ever done. We finally, we cracked the code. Normally we do, you know, an opening bit. You know, Phil, he's another regular on the show. Uh, he's not here this week, so, you know, none of us did his job. What do we look like? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look like an adult who wants to have a, uh, you know, meaningful discussion about comic books without somebody making fart noises. Uh, I'm not convinced that in the next two hours that won't happen, but, yeah, you know. <laughs> I just didn't, I just don't have a joke right now. That doesn't mean I'm not going to come well, up. Kale, I was covering our asses for not doing any work. You could just back me up. Listen, I don't have any work to do. <laughs> It's not his job. He's <laughs> just like a deeper hole. All right, fine. <laughs> hey, man. I, I read, I read all my work yesterday. I read all the commentary this morning. I came to work. I showed up. I'm here to do the job. For whatever reason, this reminds me of that scene in Spider-Man One where the thief is running away from the from the the building after Spider-Man gets jerked around by the wrestling promoter. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, man. The cop's like, oh, why did you stop him or whatever? He's like, hey, man, it's not my job. <laughs> That's well, Kale. I, I feel like I, I really like the idea of attributing that quote to Kale just being, I showed up, Kale Ward, 2019. Did you know there's I, – I hate maybe – Maybe it was Nick Spencer. I can't remember. Somebody, somebody wrote uh, on Twitter about that being Miles's new catchphrase. Is hey, listen, I showed up and I tried. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Twitter, Twitter went off. Oh, they were mad. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as, hey, as they want to do on Twitter. Yeah, that's fair. I, I was gonna say I respect that. Dude, it's not always easy to show up, okay? I had a bad nap. I'm in a bad mood. There you go. So I'm here, and I'm performing, you know? Like, that's what's important. I'm putting, you know, points up on the board. I think that today on the show, there are going to be a lot of things uh, that we're going to have big conversations about that may upset some people. And uh, they may upset me, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> we, we've got we've got some 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 fun things to talk about a little later on. We're talking uh, Suicide Squad. That's back in the news. Uh, we're talking uh, Frank Miller writing more Batman, and a big rumor about how the Marvel Cinematic Universe may be introducing Professor X and Magneto and changing some major things about their origins. So all that's to come. Before we get into all that stuff, though, I do want to let you all know where you can find us. We are the Comics Pals everywhere that you could possibly find us. If you type that in, Google, wherever you like to search stuff, you're going to find us. Uh, podcast hosting platform-wise, we're all over the place. If we're not on the one random podcast hosting platform you like, let us know. Marco will get us on there. I'm not going to do it. Marco will do it. Um <laughs> How do you know? He doesn't show up. Well, that's true. He's not here either. Um, Although you wouldn't know that, you know, based on his lack of speaking so far, that doesn't mean he's not here. Uh, We know he's not here because he ain't here. Um, (laughs) 
We you can get us at the comicspals at gmail.com if you want to write to us. You can hit us up to talk about uh, anything that we're about to talk about or anything that we have talked about. A big point lately has been talking about House and Powers of X. We're going to be reviewing Powers 4 a little later. Uh, Powers of 10, sorry, I can't believe I did that. And uh, Event Leviathan number 4 we're going to be talking about a little later too. So if you're on those books, let us know your thoughts. Um, And, uh, oh yeah, social media. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Get us on there. And, you know, engage with what we've got over there. We've got a lot of cool stuff happening on social media. So you're going to want to check that out. Uh, leave us a like, subscribe, comment, all the stuff that can be done to help us out. Go do that. It's free to do. Helps out a lot more than it costs you. So be a pal and uh, hook us up. Now, um, I want to I want to mm-hmm. jump actually right into things because I feel like there's so much to talk about. I don't want this to be a three hour show. Uh, as much as I love talking to you guys, you Since know. When? As much as, well, you know, Kale, you know I have a special relationship. Uh, today, though, I do I do want to make sure that we are focusing on the most important things, and there's a lot of important stuff. So we're just going to get into the Palace Bulls here. Uh, Kale chose Umbrella Academy. Uh, what's the tag on this one? Uh, Hotel Oblivion. Volume 3. Yes. Um, this is the long-awaited... Uh, sequel to the first two Umbrella Academy series. This has been in the works supposedly for like 15 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. The show wasn't great for me. I thought it was fine, but it wasn't. Um, hmm. What did like, you end up watching? The things. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Did you end up watching more of it? I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I never got past the first episode that we reviewed. Um, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't my favorite of the things that came out doom patrol came out i think the same day and i liked what doom patrol did a lot better um which is funny because they're they're both roughly the same concept and you know umbrella academy was aping doom patrol anyway uh (laughs) i'm I'm interested to see what this third volume will hold and if we'll see it um intersect with the uh the tv show at all i kind of hope not but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know, man. I liked Umbrella Academy, the show. Um, it wasn't the best thing, like you said, but I enjoyed it. Um, I thought, I thought that it brought the spirit of the comic together pretty decently. I don't know. I I know that it it's gonna have another season, and people were really into it. So maybe they'll get it right for you next time. Yeah, maybe. That seems like a show that would benefit from a second season, you know, like a highly stylized kind of somewhat technical show like that. Sometimes it takes a little while to find your sound. Yeah. (laughs) This is so random and probably not worth talking about, but I thought Mary J. Blige's acting on that show was so cringy. Oh, man. Yeah, dude. I I really liked Hazel and Cha-Cha. But I also think, like, she's not... She's not. Uh, she's not an actor. She's not. She's not. Uh, she's a. She's a musician, and I respect her a lot musically. I'm. A, I'm a fan, but I just thought the acting wasn't great. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I. 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 I think that overall, but uh, her performance for me was not 
a problem. Yeah, and my girlfriend didn't feel that way either. So I'm, I guess I'm in the, the minority, but, you know, that's okay. I'm used to being a minority. I gotta be honest. I love being able to say things like that. It, it's fun. Um, <laughs> really, really makes up for everything. Right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and then you also chose Headlopper Volume 3. Oddly enough, another Volume 3. Yeah. Um, I I have uh, spoken about Headlopper several times on this, on this show. I really love this series it's sort of um sort of one of my first comic uh ventures into uh that hard fantasy you know that conan the barbarian stuff without having to you know go into conan the barbarian uh andrew mclean does some wild stuff that i think is uh really really cool his designs are incredible um it's about it's about a big barbarian dude who's famous for cutting off heads and uh, his whole jam is that he carries the head of uh, Agatha, the evil witch, with him wherever he goes. Mm. And everybody uh, wants it. Um, so this is volume three. That's awesome. Headlopper is not a series that I have read, but I root for it. Whenever you talk about it, it makes me it, like it makes me interested in it because it sounds like it would just be a fun read. Yeah, yeah. And the the visuals and the colors just all of it just works right i i don't other than like the the agatha the witch part i don't think it's particularly um landmark in terms of story or anything but i think what mclean does with it i think is really really interesting that's cool cool it makes it worth i gotta pick it up one day yeah yo book club we should do we should do a book club on it 2020 around the corner so Pete and I, we kept it straight, and we just chose House of X number five. Dude, this book—it's I—it's I, the only comic that like I am like just like this hype about right now. You know, like there's other stuff that I'm interested in reading and like whatever, but like this this book is like consuming a lot of my thoughts. You know, whenever Wednesday comes around, it's just like oh man, like. I can't wait to see what happened next. Yeah, man. I this comic has renewed me as a as a comic book reader. Obviously, I read comics uh, on a very regular basis, but like I'm going back and consuming, you know, older stuff mm-hmm. that I haven't thought about in a while. I'm like wanting to buy more trades, and you know, I've fallen back on that because I've got like a back log of trades that I've picked up at cons and stuff that I just haven't read yet. Who doesn't? Uh, right. And, uh, but this this book, this series is making me revisit everything, and uh, I haven't been this excited about any comic and I, I don't even remember the last time. Like, I'm, I'm more hyped about this than I was Doomsday Clock at the same point in time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I remember feeling that way about Doomsday Clock, like yeah. being like, oh, this feels special. And like, this feels more special, you know, mm-hmm. especially because I don't know, I didn't expect as much of it, you know, and not because I wasn't excited for it, but because like, I don't know, like the the distance between the announcement 
and like actually getting it was so small yeah. that it didn't feel like this big, you know, Herculean, oh, it's the big Marvel event this year. You know, like it was like, oh, yeah, the X-Men are back and Hickman are, is writing it. It'll probably be good, you know? And then it was like, it's just, it's, every issue has been a delight. And it's it's really been a treat to read. I look forward to it. I tell you, a big part of it is, one, Hickman's got a proven track record of almost near 100% hits. Yeah. And the stuff that doesn't necessarily hit, it's just because it's way the fuck over your head. The other thing is it's been consistent, and it's finished. Yeah, you know, we're, it's never missed a week, we're like, nothing like over that. over halfway through now, and it's come out every week. And it's been two years since Doomsday Clock was announced, and it's still uh, still going. Still trucking. Still <laughs> trucking along, yeah. <laughs> One sad thing, though, about House and Powers is I, I don't remember exactly what issue it is, and I will find out, but... Uh, one of the last issues of House or Powers will not be colored by Marta Gracia because he actually uh, suffered an illness. Oh, no. Yeah, he's on the That's mend, awful. so he will not be able to finish the series. And he's honestly, to be really honest, other than Hickman's writing, he's been my favorite part of the whole series. The coloring on this book is next level. It's kept these like the artists between house and powers are fa- are similar enough that it's not that big a jump but, but the colors is what makes it feel like one cohesive narrative yeah. yeah i really think that's been a huge part of it because their styles are similar enough like you said but i think the fact that the palette stays so consistent like you get an immediate sense for where you are in the timeline based on like the color you know, and like there, there's it, it does such a good job of setting moods and making you understand the emotional state, you know, and, and like the stakes of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's really, really a bummer that he will not be able to finish it. Um, but hey, you know, life does happen. Yeah. Wish him a speedy recovery. Get well soon. Yeah, uh, so it's it's actually both. It's it's Hawks and Pox six that he will not be able to finish. That's that's a real shame. Yeah, yeah so you know, uh, so we have a little bit of time, and I feel like riffing. I thought of something that I read on the internet recently that I want to talk about. So we're gonna do that. Okay. Uh, someone said, and I don't remember who it was, so I can't attribute this to anyone that Doomsday Clock is the very best superhero story to this point since Watchmen. Agree or disagree? I think I read this too. Okay. I think I read this too. Yeah. I gotta disagree. Yeah. I don't I don't know what I would put forward because that's I think that's a big a big ask, but I'm gonna disagree. Yeah. Uh, I I I especially d- I disagree in principle, because how can you say that when it's not done? <laughs> like, how can you call something that, like, you know, <laughs> there there are plenty of great pieces of art that fumble their ending, you know? And, like, and a few spring to mind if we want to take a walk down memory lane here, you know? So it's like, 
I, I don't know how you could even possibly make that claim right now. But even if it finishes and I love the 12th issue, I, I, I don't think I agree. Because there are a lot of superhero stories between Watchmen and Doomsday Clock. And some really, really great ones. It's a conversation I'd be interested in, like, taking... I, I, I would love to, like, have a, a debate episode about that. You know, like, we pick, like, like do, like, March Madness kind of bracket or something. Like, pick, like, 30. It's like, what's, what is it? What's the best one? We got to figure it out. Huh. That could, be, that could fun. be fun. That could be fun. <laughs> I think that would be cool to do with, like, events. What's the yeah. best yeah. event series? Doomsday Clock. Um, man, I think that if you asked me or if this was posited before the most recent issue, I probably would have said, yeah, maybe. Because it's doing it's doing everything for me that I want done, and it's doing it so excellently that I really can't think of many books that I would say are even on are even in the stratosphere that it's in. But when you really like get away from you know the moment of it and you think about the reality of it, what even does that mean, right? Like, okay, Doomsday Clock is going to be 12 issues max. Can you really compare that to a run on a book that's 100 issues, you know? Can you can you can you make that kind of comparison? That's really tough. Yeah, and like best best story, right? Best superhero story is like that that it, to me like that answer is not an event comic. You know? Um, Why? Not it's just because those aren't the kind of superhero stories I like the best. But you know, like, like the one right now. Oh, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I can't like big events, but like to me, like when if somebody were to ask me, like in my opinion, what is like the best superhero story? Like I, I don't think it would be an event. I think it would be a run, like you said. It would be like a story about a you know and it could be a team or whatever but like it would be a, it would be a smaller story you know it would be a more personal story because that's what appeals to me you know like uh, a spider-man blue or something like that is like way more in contention for that answer in my opinion you know just because that's how my tastes skew if you're saying best superhero story you know like I I really enjoyed Doomsday Clock. Doomsday Clock hasn't like made me cry, you know. Okay, yeah. Uh, I I think that I think that that would be an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, that's why I want to do it. I think that would be a really fun debate because it's it's so subjective, right? Like it's totally based on like what you want out of a superhero story. What's what's going to be best for everybody is going to be so different, and that's like. When you think about what a superhero story is, it's so dependent on the character, too. You know? Like, the best Spider-Man story is a hell of a lot different than the best Moon Knight story. You know? That's true, but <laughs> I like how you just randomly chose Moon Knight. He was the most, like, random example I could think of of, like, his shit is so out there compared right. to the regular thing you think when you think superhero narrative, you know? Yeah. Um, Fucking crazy moon powers. He's got a spaceship. <laughs> the thing is that, like, if you take Doomsday Clock, for example, it's so good technically that if you're having a conversation about the best superhero story of all time, the fact that it's technically, like, the work behind it is so 
strong. Sound. Forget the story. It eliminates so much of its competition on that alone. That that book is so good looking that the art has never missed. That the coloring has never missed. That I mean, I guess the the story is where it, it probably becomes the most subjective because there are people, even if you discount the last issue, who just aren't enthralled by it. Like Kale, Kale doesn't love it. Um, am I, I mean, am I putting words in your mouth there or not? Not even a little. Okay. No. Um. So so that's where it gets a little bit you know subjective, but. I don't think that I don't feel like I've ever seen anyone argue that the work being put into it is not incredible work. No, I mean, I wouldn't argue that either at all. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it is a massive undertaking, but I I don't think I don't think it's going to personally, I don't think it's going to live up to Watchmen Mm. and I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to be that satisfying of an ending to where you know people are gonna say that right mm-hmm. uh that said you know uh, when i was young i had a, a problem with watchman's ending like huh you know i i think i would listen <laughs> i was young and cocky for a very long time um <laughs> uh, but I, I just no one's you know no one's saying it isn't a massive undertaking but to just ignore, you know, the 25, 30 years of superhero stories between these two is silly. I understand that perspective. I just think it's interesting to debate stupid no, I, stuff like this. You, ha- you, know? you have me at a place where I, like, I, I'm desperate to have that conversation now. To, like, debate it because I think, to, to me, the question, the conversation is always more interesting than the ultimate answer right yeah, like yeah yeah the top 30 list that we would come up with and then like the final four that we'd argue on to me would be like having that dialogue is much more uh that matters more to the credit of the work than naming one the best right because like everyone's the best is different so the best right. is meaningless but how you arrive there is what's compelling yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's when you get into the nitty gritty of like what what makes a good story, like what makes a good representation of this craft, and like when are the things that deviate from that meaningful? You know, like those are the fun questions. Absolutely. Well, look forward to that as a future something that we'll do here if that uh, concept intrigues you at all, and definitely do let us know. If you agree with the idea that A, there could even be an answer, um, and, and B, if Doomsday Clock is that for you, and if it's not, what is? Um, again, that's the comics pals at gmail.com, or however you feel like getting to us, we'll get it. Uh, Twitter's weird with dimensions sometimes, but, you know, reach out somehow. Yeah, like, the the most important thing is that if you ever reach out to us and we don't get back, hit us up on another platform, because we're not ignoring your question. Yeah. We respond to every message. You know, I don't even think Marco could participate in that debate. No, no, definitely not. That's one of those things where it's like you have to have you got to have read some real stuff. You know, Marco, like you have Marco to have could a moderate. Base. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He could be a good judge. I also feel like every one of us 
would have to have read everything that is on the list. So like yeah. if if Pete suggests something and says I'm nominating this, then everyone has to read it. Yeah, I agree. I think that would be a good way to do it. And like we spend like a time really curating that list and deciding these are the fucking however many books we need and then we take however long it takes to read them. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. like, go in informed and able to, like, really fucking hash it out. Because mm-hmm. I think that would be really... Dude, I would love to just, like, live stream that, like, set up a camera in a room. We're just in there for, like, five, six hours with, like, a whiteboard. Just, like, you know, making points and stuff. Like... Oh, dude. Dig deep! We gotta find an answer here! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> It's it's so crazy because like, like for example, Civil War, right? I I have I cannot I can make the argument, but that's only because I am proficient at arguing. And like no one, not no one, but if you didn't read that when it came out, and you're not like me specifically, you might not have. It's so important the emotional connection, yeah, and. I can make the argument because I have the emotional connection, but it won't mean the same thing to the next person. And that's what's so interesting about these kinds of conversations. Um, and they happen in so many different, you know, spectrums, like rap music. People always want to talk about who's the best. And it's like, well, if you were born in the 80s, that answer is going to be very different than mine. You know? Sure. Yeah. And I, that's that's what I think is so good, though, because like. When you really get into it, and if you ha- if we like prepared for it the way we're talking about, you're gonna have people who are coming at it from that love and that passion, and then people who are just looking at it as like, you know, at- with no rose colored glasses, anything like that. And I yeah. feel like then you can really talk about its its true merits and its true faults, and that's like when you're gonna get into like what is really like a universally appealing work. And what is it about it that's universally appealing? And and by the way, anyone who is compelled by this idea, uh, we actually did something like this on the video game pals on the last episode. So mm. uh, if you're if you're interested in that, but you're a video game fan, we already did it. So you can go check that out over there. Um, but and it was a good from one. Someone who wasn't from someone who wasn't on the video game pals. That was a really strong debate. Glad you enjoyed it. Really, really good. All right, so we're going to move on. We're going to get into the news here. We've got some big Suicide Squad news because we have what appears to be the entire cast revealed uh, in a in a huge blowout announcement coming from James Gunn. Uh, very simple tweet. Uh, simply reads, don't get too attached, hashtag the Suicide Squad, with uh, the entire list of the cast and then uh, the new logo for the film. Uh, which really isn't too special. It's just the Suicide Squad with some red, I don't know, marking uh, running across the word suicide. Did that have any meaning to you guys? I, I just assumed it was uh, a bullet. Yeah, oh, bullet oh okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I, I should have uh, zoomed in because that does make more sense. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to run. It, Go ahead. Well, it, I was going to say the comicbook.com article that we have referenced, it says the logo is taken straight from the John Ostrander comics that made the Suicide Squad such a popular property in the 80s. So I, I think it's an existing... It's a, it's a, yeah, it's an homage. All right. So I'm going to run down this list. Viola Davis, Idris Elba, 
Margot Robbie, Michael Rooker, Jennifer Holland, Julio Ruiz, Peter Capaldi, Daniela Melchior, uh, Melchior, oh yeah, something like that. Uh, Tanache, I'm pretty sure that's the Tanache, uh, the 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 musician, the artist. Steve, Ag, Ag, okay. Alice Braga, uh, Taika Waititi, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pete Davidson, uh, Storm Reed, uh, Juan Diego Alto, Bato. 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 Oh, that's a, it's B. a B. Oh, yeah, it's the a B. bullet made me think it was an yeah. A. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally can see that. the The bullet's like definitely obscuring that one a little bit. <laughs> uh, Sean Gunn, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Flula Borg, Mailing. I don't know how to do this one. NG, yeah, I, Ning. I don't know Ning. Uh, Joel Kinnaman returning. Uh, that's uh, Rick Flag for those of you who are. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, uh, Nathan Fillion. That's awesome. Yeah, which I think we talked. That's was cool. that last week yeah. that that was announced, or two weeks ago? Uh, week before, I think we talked about it. That was our episode. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is tight. Really cool. I'm going to go with Joaquin on this. Do we agree definitely. on this guy? Yeah, okay. definitely Joaquin. Gosio. Uh, Jai Courtney. Cool. This is uh, Boomerang, Captain Boomerang from uh, the first one. John Cena. Motherfucking John Cena. <laughs> you know, of John Cena fame. <laughs> the WWE they- superstar. <laughs> How are they even going to film him in the movie? What do you mean? He's a, they can't see him, dude. He oh can't be picked up by God. a lens. Oh, God. <laughs> Sheesh, that joke. Oof. Uh, <laughs> um, and then we've got uh, David Dastmalchian, who has the best last name. Uh, so, yeah. This is a, this is, this is a, a squad, <laughs> I yeah, gotta dude. say. This is star-studded. I, I'm really surprised by Peter Capaldi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's. I feel like that's a kind of a weird one, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen with him. For those who he's the he was the twelfth Doctor from Doctor Who, um, the grumpy Scottish one, right? He's a million years old, <laughs> and not just in the show. So um, he'll be some surprise. Suit. Maybe, yeah, he might be a voice. He might be, uh, although, like. I don't know if you if you guys saw pictures of him and his his Doctor Who. He's got like a re, he's a real thin, tall, sort of wiry old guy. Mm-hmm. So he could do I don't know he could do something creepy. I guess I'm I'm thinking like he will probably not be a physical character. Like I'd, I'd imagine he'll be like more like a more like an Amanda Waller kind of right. I see that a voice, yeah. I I don't know what to make of Pete Davidson. That's I I kind of wonder if he's going to be one of the first people to die or something. Yeah, like, so he said he says don't get too attached. I imagine he's going to be like a a minor character who gets murked. I hope that that don't get too attached. Like specifically applies to Pete Davidson. Don't ask <laughs> me why. I don't know. I just really want to see him die on screen. I just don't like him. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't think he's funny. I don't. I can't explain it. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Like, I don't. I definitely don't hate him, but a lot of people seem to. It's just like something about him just seems to turn people off. I don't get it, but whatever. Like, I don't hate him, but the this will be the first thing I'll be sitting through with him in it. Like, I don't. I don't really watch SNL. I've seen a couple right. of things with him in it, but I just like I could take a lot less of Pete Davidson in my life than I already have, which is very little. It's funny because I actually heard an interview with him on it and I didn't, I didn't listen to it for him. Uh, he just happened to be there. Like there was a whole other thing happening and he was just there and he seemed like a perfectly good dude. And like, like I was like, Oh shit, Pete Davidson's on this. And then, uh, he, he got to talking and I was like, Oh, well, I was, I think I was playing, um, I think I was playing Tetris 99 and I wasn't going to like not, I wasn't going to turn it off because I'm in the middle of a game. And so he gets to talking and then I'm like, Oh no, it's Pete Davidson. But then I liked what he said. So I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> but then as soon as that ended, I was like, all right, that was cool. But fuck Pete Davidson. Yo, what the fuck, man? <laughs> Don't know. And like, it's you know when it's the thing when he said, you know, I used to used to masturbate to pictures to my uh, to uh, Ariana Grande. Oh, I just fucking. Why would you say that? <laughs> why would you? Because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, man. It's 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 edgy shock humor. Like I get not liking his comedy. I just don't understand the visceral. Like we've been talking about him an undue amount of time right now because we've you guys are like, talk- fuck this dude. We've definitely talked about him more than the whole <laughs> announcement. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's like what I'm saying is I don't understand it. Because like, honestly, I've seen him in one or two things on SNL, but I'm like similar to Kel. I haven't seen him in much. The thing I know most for is being good friends with John Mulaney, who's my favorite comedian and a great guy. So obviously he must not be an asshole. Like, I don't know. He seems fine. Agree to disagree, I guess. All right. So (laughs) we talked a while ago about Rick Flagg, and I think that the consensus among you guys was not wanting Joel Kinnaman back. I feel like that was the case. How do you feel about his return here? He didn't make a strong impression on me in the first movie, so I'm not, like, upset to see him back. But if they were recasting a bunch of characters or whatever, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe... Like, I remember thinking maybe Nathan Fillion would be the new Rick Flag. So, it's whatever. That's fine. I don't dislike him. Yeah, I gotta say, um, I think that... This whole The Suicide Squad thing is a little weird. I'm sure the movie will be fine. Obviously, James Gunn is James Gunn. But the fact that it is not a sequel... I mean, he's he's on record as saying it's not a sequel. So, if it's not a sequel, is it a reboot? I gotta imagine it's not because it has several of the same actors. So, if it's not a sequel and it's not a reboot, then what the hell is it? Mm. Just probably, you know, just one of these... Ah, it's just a Suicide Squad movie. <laughs> I feel like it's. I feel like it's a you pivot. Know? Like it'll it'll be. Oh, this is the same Harley and the the same Rick Flag yeah. or whatever. But it has nothing to do with the events of the first movie at all. And right. It won't reference them, and you know, in the same way that like Star Wars Episode Seven and Eight don't really like acknowledge the prequels that much, right? Like we know that they're there and they're canon. And you might see a thing that 
connects them or whatever, but it's not like a major fucking talking point. I feel like it's going to just kind of be like that. Like, it's like, oh, we need another Suicide Squad. We're bringing back Harley Quinn. Everybody else is new. You know, oh, Captain Boomerang. <laughs> well, Viola Davis is back. Rick Flag's back. Right, so, I mean, right, it's, yeah, you yeah. know. And Same Waller, so, you know. Wasn't uh, Idris Elba going to be Deadshot? Yeah. Or is he somebody? Mm, yeah. Oh, he is. Isn't he? Yeah. Or am I? Am I? No, crazy? I, I think he, I think he's someone else. I feel I feel like there was some. Uh, he either was or, or wasn't. He <laughs> or everybody. Oh thought right, he was, yes. And it turns out he's not. Yeah, you guys are right. Uh, way back in April, uh, right? Okay. We yeah we learned that he will not be playing Deadshot. Oh okay. I think that was yeah. our assumption when he signed on to the movie. Is like oh okay. Well, originally that was that was what it was going to be. I'm remembering now. Originally, yeah. they had met for that role. Came out of that meeting deciding that that wasn't the play. Cool. So I'm surprised, and then, and then we can move on. But I'm surprised not to see Dave Batista on this. I, list. That was I was going to say that too. That was the one disappointment for me here. It was like, damn, no Batista. Yeah. I wonder if he just couldn't make it work. Yeah. He just couldn't make it work in time. It must it must have been some kind of scheduling conflict. Do you guys care about this movie? Real talk. Um, so I feel the same way about this movie that I did about uh the Joker movie, I think, when it was first announced, where like I don't I don't care about it on its face. But like I like the I like James Gunn. You know, like I've been a fan of James Gunn as a filmmaker actually since before Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and I, I, I love what he did with the Guardians. And I think the idea of him taking kind of his updated sensibilities back to some grittier territory, because that's kind of what he did when he was an up and comer. Um, Super comes to mind as I think that's the name of the film. It's uh, with Rain Wilson and um, yeah. Ellen, Page. Ellen Page. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of vibe with a more comedic bend in like a blockbuster kind of, you know, sensibility. Like I, I, I think this is a I think this is a recipe for a really good movie because he's really talented and you look at like how the Guardians cast reacted when he got fired and like everybody was behind him because they love working with him. So when you have a property that, you know, nobody really cares about, but it has enough steam that like people will go see it coupled with a really, really talented filmmaker, coupled with a star-studded, as you said, Sean, this is a good squad, right? Like, there's a lot of talented people on this fucking list. For sure. So that, that's a recipe for success. This is a studio that, like, needs a win and will probably actually give him creative control because they know he can deliver. And he's got good actors to work with. Like, the, to yeah. me... It's not a movie I'm like, oh, I can't fucking wait for this. But I bet dollars to donuts that it, when it comes out, it will be better than good. You know, like, I think it's probably going to be a, a strong movie because he's a fucking talented filmmaker and he's got really talented people surrounding him. And by all accounts, he's really easy and great to work with. So why wouldn't it be successful? I bet they're going to get together there and have fun and salvage this fucking thing. I really do. Okay. Kale. Meh. <laughs> All right. Well, I oh. I'm looking forward to it more than the Joker. Fair enough. I'll say that. Fair enough. Um, one more point. Yeah. I can't believe. I can't believe. I cannot believe this. The Suicide Squad is the movie that DC got Nathan Fillion in. I'm so disappointed <laughs> in that man. 
that's for real. Like if he, I don't if they're not gonna shoehorn him in as Booster Gold. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I read like, a rumor that he's playing uh, Green Lantern in this movie. That but would that be really doesn't cool. make any sense to me. Could you I don't be a cameo? What, yeah, for me it would be the same as Booster Gold. I don't know why the fuck Booster Gold or Green Lantern would be in a Suicide Squad movie, but that's the only role that makes sense. Could just be exactly. a cameo. It could it could be like just like what they do with Batman, you know, where it's like they show you know Nathan Fillion as one of those characters taking in one of the bad guys who joins the Suicide Squad and then he's like, "All right, peace." Like I can't even tell you how disappointing it would be for Green Lantern's first canonical appearance in the DCFU to be that. You're right, but do you think that means it won't happen? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't think James Gunn would do us dirty like that, but he might. <laughs> he's like, yo, he, I want to put the Green Lantern care. in my movie, right? Yeah. He's like, I want the Green Lantern. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but let's move on because there's a bunch of other stuff to talk about. So Great. J.J. Abrams and his uh, company, Bad Robot, have inked a big deal with Warner Media. Of course, Warner Media is, you know, what we typically refer to as Warner Brothers. Um, it's a huge deal, $500 million. You know, they're going to be involved in everything that Warner has, whatever. I didn't include this for that part. I included it for the part of Warner Media obviously owns DC. And this project, this alliance includes films, uh, games, television, everything. So the big question in my mind, especially because J.J. Abrams specifically said that the reason why they chose to sign here with Warner Media was because of the properties that Warner Media has access to. Mm. When I hear that, obviously I think of DC. So, my question to you guys is what property do you want to see JJ Abrams tackle from DC and also is it even appealing to you the idea that he could become the next Zack Snyder in that world. So I have two minds about this. I'm not super excited by the idea of J.J. Abrams uh, directing any particular superhero property. Um, I think that there are probably a number that he could do a serviceable job on. I think overall J.J. Abrams is a, a competent filmmaker. He's definitely made films that I've enjoyed and I think the guy's talented. But I honestly don't think that that's his biggest strong suit. I think that the thing he's the best at is actually casting. Um, you look at any of his films, like no matter what your opinion are on them, like I, he's really good at finding undiscovered talent and like putting good teams together. And that kind of person is really what DC needs. So the idea of a bad robot led DCFU, like where he's in like a Kevin Feige kind of role where he's maybe not directing as much as he is like choosing directors and being a part of the casting process and producing and like giving creative input and notes and stuff. That is actually really appealing to me because I think he's good at that. And, you know, again, I, I feel like most people agree that even like story criticism, whatever aside, like 
he did a good job of tidying things up to bring Star Wars back for a return, right? And I think somebody doing a similar kind of house cleaning at DC is really what they need. They need somebody with a vision more than they need any one individual film to be good or made good by a director. He can't direct all of their films. He could lead the whole universe. And that would be good, I think. I think he would actually nail that. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I could see him... I think I could see him sort of re recasting Superman's image post, you know, Snyder. Mm-hmm. Uh, post Man of Steel, post Justice League. I'd be interested to hear what Phil would think about a J.J. Abrams-led Superman movie. I don't think he would like it, but I think it could be good. No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think of the people... I don't. He wouldn't be my first choice. I think for a Superman film, but me neither. I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. I I feel like again, if you if you think about like right, like I don't think that Force Awakens is the the best thing, like the best direction you could have taken a brand new Star Wars movie. But I think it was the Star Wars movie we needed at that time, given where the franchise was and where it wanted to go. And I feel like him doing a similar return to form Superman movie where it's just like, we're doing the greatest hits here. Like, he could do that. He did that with Star Wars and it was it was enjoyable. Like, again, no matter what you think about it now in 2019, if you were in that theater on opening night and you love Star Wars and you didn't like get something out of that movie, I think you're in the minority. And I think like that's what Superman needs more than like the best Superman movie ever. It needs like a, let's get it right, and then fucking once we got all the pieces in place and the right actor and whatever, like, hand it off to somebody else who wants to, like, do more and try to push it. Like, I think that's really his his fucking strong suit, you know? Man, uh, I think I've thought a lot about the Superman thing, because that's specifically the character that came to mind. Yeah. And J.J. Abrams, for me... uh. I'm not he's whiffed for me more than he's hit. Uh The Force Awakens, I feel you on what you said. I think Star Wars was in a place where as long as you had the things that people recognize as Star Wars in that movie, you were going to have people happy because Star Wars returning was something that people were clamoring for. And I think with Superman there isn't that same uh, uh, bubbling up of excitement for anything Superman. And so I think it would take something to be special in a way that I don't feel Force Awakens was to really make Superman a character that people care about again in mass. Can J.J. Abrams do that? I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm just saying that um, when he's playing with other people's toys, he ain't batting 100. And that concerns me. No one bats 100, but I just feel like I'm not... I don't think of him and go, okay, yeah, he's the guy that can that can bring Superman into, you know, 20-whatever. I think that's a totally fair assessment. I hadn't thought about it from the difference in terms of, like, height level around Star Wars versus Superman, and I think that's a salient point. To his credit, I will I will also say, when you look at Star Wars, and I don't know his his level of excitement 
or fandom as a human being for Star Wars versus uh, DC Comics. But when you look at Force Awakens, the one thing I can say, and I like the movie, it's a fine movie. The one thing I can say is that he clearly understood Star Wars. He gets what made it special, yeah. Like, yeah, and 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 again, and I I, I really like the people he chose as the next generation of Star Wars heroes, you know, and and I, I definitely stand by the idea of him as like a Feige like figure. I'd be very interested in that. Oh, let me ask uh, you this. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go no, ahead. go go, go ahead. for it, man. Go. I think I'm going to change the topic just a little bit. So you go ahead. You go right. first. With where DC's at, because they got Joker coming, Shazam really wasn't um, too connected to anything. Wonder Woman, they kind of didn't really connect to much. And I don't think Wonder Woman uh, 89 is really connected to much. They've really walked back from the shared universe thing. Now, with J.J. Abrams being on the table, do you even feel like... is DC, is Does DC even want to do that? Or does Warner even want to do that? And having J.J. Abrams now, do you feel like that automatically means that the shared universe is the way to go or do you feel like dc should continue to do what they've been doing because what they have been doing worked twice and by all accounts it will work with joker so now with jj abrams and and suicide squad i mean like it doesn't seem like suicide squad is like super connected to anything this new movie the new one right uh aquaman aquaman yeah, that one, that one wasn't as connected either. Like it didn't, it didn't have a specific relationship to the other films. It it, it was in its, it was playing in its own world. So so even Aquaman, all the movies that they've put out that are not related to the grander vision have been solid. I think it's fair to say. So, do you think? based on what we know they did before and what's been working so far, that they should go into the shared universe thing because they have J.J. I think I think to answer your first question, I can't imagine Warner and DC don't want to do the shared universe thing. Yeah. I, so they definitely do. Uh, whether, whether they will or whether J.J. Abrams is that guy I think I think one thing they could really stand to do is find an idea that's at least semi original you know with 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 um Endgame and Infinity War there was it was at least it wasn't a complete you know rip off of the Infinity Gauntlet you know, whereas whereas Justice League was basically a Justice League War or a Origin or whatever the Jeff Johns story. Yeah, the New Fifty Two. Yeah, and I think I think the the thing about that story is it's fine, but it it feels it feels like a two thousand eleven version of those heroes, and you're trying to make it stay up to date and it just 
it feels rushed and it doesn't feel like it works. So I think I think assuming J.J. Abrams is that person and that's what they decide to do, I feel like he'll at least be able to come up with a, a cohesive enough narrative to weave all these threads together. And maybe he'll be smart enough to listen to this podcast and hear what I've said all along and do the Justice League first and then splinter off into whatever seems like it's popular. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I, I think that there's obviously a benefit to the whole shared universe thing if they can pull it off. But I, I think if the Joker movie is successful, I don't know that they're going to want to move away from doing stuff that's not connected. So I think... I think that they're at a weird crossroads right now. And if J.J. Abrams comes in here and cleans house and they want to give him that power and really take another shot at this thing, that's definitely one scenario. But I think probably a more likely scenario is to continue putting out these movies in a way that where they're loose and... They're, they they are kind of connected, but they don't really have to be. And if they want to have them cross over, you understand that concept enough as a viewer that it works. But if they don't, then they don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one interesting wrinkle that I, I, I really want to talk about, and this conversation has gone in such a way that I feel like it opens the door, is that I read... An interview with Todd Phillips where he said that originally he approached Warner with the idea for the Joker movie. And not only that, but he approached them with the idea for the what is now basically being referred to as DC Black Label. He was the for one that. on film. DC. He, yeah. Okay. He was the one who said, hey... Why don't we do movies where it's like driven by the director or you know the, the the crew with a small budget and a simple idea that's not connected to this bigger world. He says that was his idea. And the reason why that's so compelling to me is because it makes me feel like DC Warner doesn't actually have an idea of what they want to do really at all and that they're willing to try different stuff because of what's already failed and that means that it's a blessing and a curse because without jj abrams i feel like it's a mistake to do the shared universe thing because they've failed so spectacularly before and they don't have a head honcho and obviously, Jeff, the Jeff Johns thing went south for whatever reason. And, right. you know, who knows if we'll ever know why. But with someone like J.J. James with, with Bad Robot that has producers and has people, that can be... Because DC doesn't have people that are doing mm. things over there. It's just DC. And then Warner has their producers and their people. Marvel... Movies, yeah, they're under Disney, but Marvel Studios is an entity. So Bad Robot could, in this world, be the Marvel Studios of of Warner, right? And that makes sense to me. And I mean, they're it's already like a proven quantity, right? Like they're capable of making this kind of movie of the big triple A blockbuster variety. You know, um, they've been responsible for two Star Wars now. You know, Star so. Trek. Star Trek 2? Yeah. 
another successful trilogy. So like, it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out because I think I think that as a as a move as there being a set of shared universe movies that are helmed by Bad Robot and then like a black label imprint that are like Elseworlds unrelated kind of director driven movies like that would be perfect that would be the best of both worlds and I don't think that's a problem really Kale do you feel like that works I think it could work I don't think they'll do it but I think it could work yeah yeah I I personally feel like that's confusing to people um I think I think there's been a lot of confusion with this Joker movie yeah, uh, but do you think that do you think that'll affect the movie's bottom line though? I think it would if it wasn't the Joker, because I think mm. the Joker's a, the Joker's a character that appeals to people on a different level. So, like, if you made a Superman Red Sun movie, that's not the same thing. If you make that movie, I think that that has a lot of people very confused. So let me ask to, you this question yeah. though: Yeah, say the Joker movie's a hit. And it's like, oh, this movie fucking, it's ubiquitous, right? Like, it's a big hit like any of these other big fucking superhero movies. And they're like, okay, cool. We're making Red Sun now or whatever. And they they introduce it as the concept of like, oh, you liked Joker. Well, like, this is a, this is this new line of movies that we're doing. Like, where they're not it's connected he- to what you already know. Because, like, you now know, you now understand the idea of this is an alternate universe Joker. I don't know that you do. No, I agree. Speaking, speaking, speaking from the audience. I think speaking from the audience, and then what we have, what we have seen from past experience that you know the DC or Warner execs, they think people are just going to want a Joker cinematic universe. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I like. I feel like the injection of J.J. Abrams. Like could really change things if it if it ends up turning that instead of it being execs making those kinds of decisions, it is consistently like the, the decision falls to somebody like that who's got a vision for it of like, hey, this is a thing that's successful that's working that we can do, and this is a thing that's successful that's working that we can do. But it is a marketing problem. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how that. Go- I don't know. If, I don't know how that go- goes over, but. Um... You know, maybe maybe that's a question we'll be asking ourselves in a few years, uh, in a real way because it's actually happening. Kale, you wanted to shift gears a little bit. Do you want to do that before we move on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just before we move on, real quick, what position do you think J.J. Abrams will give his son in this new? Do <laughs> you think he'll get to make like a Mister Miracle uh, film or? Oh, that's already happening. Do you think he'll get to be in charge of the new? Uh, Green Lantern film or the Flash film? He'll get a co-write on Superman. Yeah, what I had actually heard was that... His, um, yeah, his first jump was Spider-Man. Surely, it's got, it's got to be Superman or Batman, Where else right? do you like, go, right? I had heard that he was actually not only going to be writing the new Superman movie, but also starring in it as oh, uh, wow. Clark Kent Superman. Yeah, so amazing. I mean, it makes sense. Good for know? him. Almost genuinely, I could see him playing like a Jimmy Olsen. Oh, that would, oh that yeah, would be funny actually, <laughs> dude. That's that's some. I'm not that's saying stuff. I'm not saying I'm pro that, but I'm no, saying I know, would, I know that would be hilarious if that. That's <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Oh man. 
All right, so let's let's talk about the Watchmen trailer that just dropped. And we've talked about every Watchmen trailer. Of course, this is the trailer for HBO's Watchmen, which will be debuting on October 20th. Um, we've talked about every single one. And I think that something that's been consistent is like, oh, it looks interesting. Don't really know what's going on. We'll watch, but not because of the show and what I've seen, more on the strength of the Watchmen brand. And the fact that it's tied into, um, oh god, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, wow, Don Johnson. No, <laughs> Don Johnson. Uh, What's well, an Ash Bridges spinoff? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> what, he's you right. The... He's in the trailer. What are you talking about? Damon, Damon Lindelof. Damon, thank you, Damon Lindelof. So that's not what I said. <laughs> this trailer it sure wasn't Kale. I feel is the trailer. That we have needed. And I'm very interested in hearing what you guys have to say about this. Because I was very ready to not talk about this on the show until I watched it. So I agree. Um, Yeah, Pete, when you you told me, oh, there's another Watchmen trailer to watch, I was like, ah, fuck. All right, fine. I'll watch this. Um, And I was expecting it to be more vague imagery and, like, fucking cuts. Hard cuts, you know? Um, This was the first one that had a narrative. And it introduced you got like the hard cuts though. It did have hard cuts, but it did introduce. It did have a narrative. It had a through line. It introduced characters and stakes, and it's, it like contextualized the Rorschach gang. And like now, I look at this and I'm like, oh, there are pieces on the board, and they mean something. Right. Um, I'm not hyped for it, but this was the first trailer I watched that I actually felt like had any level of intrigue or like that actually got me interested rather than just being like, oh, there's a bunch of people in Rorschach masks. Oh, there's a clock. Oh, okay. That's cool, I guess. Like whoever this new superhero is who's a cop who has a family and she's out there. Like like I was like, all right, cool. Like she seems like an interesting character with things to lose and something to – she has a she clearly has a mission that's driving her to do this shit. Otherwise, why would she put her family in jeopardy? Like, okay, cool. Like, this is an inroad for me. This is a main character that I could see wanting to follow. Mm-hmm. And there was the interrogation scene. And you're like, what's up with that? Like, now it's like, all right, cool. I get it. Yeah. And I like the positioning of the Rorschach gang as terrorists. I was like, all right, like, that's that's cool. Because, like, uh, to, to, to call back to what Kale said before, I, too, remember reading Watchmen as an edgy 16-year-old and being like, Rorschach's so cool. And then now it's like, oh, no, fuck that guy. Like, he's a fucking asshole, you know? So, like, the idea of a bunch of, you know, like, American national, national terrorists kind of thing is like, oh, how topical. You know, and like Listen, them glorifying Rorschach in that way is like how appropriate. All this conversation around the Joker movie, that's we're three months away from this Rorschach thing spreading around the same way the V for Vendetta thing happened, just with rednecks. <laughs> <laughs> These assholes are good. They, they're still high off their Game of Thrones shit. They're going to be like, oh, we could do that? We could do that. Society. You might be right. Um, yeah, Kel, what'd you think about this trailer, man? You know what? I have been consistently fairly negative about this show, except for the fact that uh, Nash Bridges is in it. And uh, I gotta say, this one did it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, uh, 
I am I before I was willing to give it the pilot. Now I'm very willing to give it the pilot. Yeah, um, it's definitely not going to get me to get an HBO subscription, <laughs> but uh, I'm into it. Cool. Yeah, this trailer has a lot for me in terms of when I think about a you know the idea of a Watchmen sequel. I'm not really that compelled by, oh, uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan comes back and, you know, all that. I'm interested in the ramifications of what happened and how that impacts the world. Because Watchmen was never really about superpowers or anything like that. Um, It's about a real living, breathing world that is just slightly different from ours. And seeing these characters, you know, have these interactions, it's really just about these characters. And so after this craziness, what the hell happens? And I love the fact that it's not it's not five years after it's not even 10 years after it's like now. Right. It's like or at least that's the vibe I get. It's, it's today. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly feels like a modern day story. 20. Right. Um. So that's really compelling to me. And this trailer finally tells me like, oh, this is kind of what the show's about. This is what you're going to be seeing week to week. And I'm very ready for this now. Very ready. Don't want to see anything more. No more trailers. But yeah, please. I'm ready. Yeah, I, I got the, the, the moment that really turned it around for me was the um, the woman who's like a cop superhero whatever where she's just like she's got her feet up on the desk and she's just like no there's a body in my trunk and i was like all right cool like <laughs> yeah that's what's up I was, okay i was like this sounds cool i was like she seems like a fucking badass like i'll watch yep. this and then when go ahead sorry when does this come out uh, october 20th wow did you guys God, that's so soon did you guys catch uh night owls um, yeah his, his ship crashed the ship yeah yeah it's pretty oh, cool. What's up with that? There, yeah, you saw all the Doctor Manhattan imagery too, right? Like right. The, the tree and then the the butterflies. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, oh yeah, a bright blue particle tree that comes out of a pot or something, and then uh, at some point there were bright blue butterflies. Okay, and then it, it looked like Night Owl like shot out of some like he was coming through a vortex or whatever. So it was like that was a similar kind of vibe I got. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, I think this show is going to be something, personally. I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm probably going to watch every single episode. Um, I have nothing better to do, anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'll be there. Uh, Yeah, unless it really sucks, I'm going to give it a first season. Yeah. And we'll we'll probably talk about at least the first episode here on this podcast. So, stick around for that. Uh... Frank Miller is in the news because he is going oh, to be... What'd he say this time? What? What'd he say this time? He's got a new fedora. It's fine. <laughs> oh, it's actually God. not for anything that he has said. It's actually for what he is writing because he is returning to the Dark Knight Returns universe again. This time telling the tale of the Golden Child. So, Friday, DC Comics announced that Frank Miller will be doing his fourth Dark Knight miniseries. Uh, He's going to be teaming up with Raphael Grandpa, 
which I love that name. Uh, it's actually a one shot. It's a 48 page one shot okay. that picks up uh, three years after the master race. So uh, DC said in a press release, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Carrie Kelly, and Lara Kent overcame the renegade priest Quar and his cult of Kandorian fanatics in their bid to convert humanity into worshiping them as gods. Man, I did not, I did not read Matt, uh, Dark Knight Three. Me neither. That sounds wild as fuck. It was. It was. I I liked it. It was cool. It had its moments. I I tell you, it doesn't make me want to read it. Fair enough. But during this interim, Laura has spent time learning about what it means to be human, while Carrie has grown into her role as Gotham City's new protector, Batwoman. When a terrifying evil returns to Gotham City, Laura and Carrie team up to take on this new threat, but this time with a secret weapon, Jonathan Kent. Known as the Golden Child, Jonathan possesses power unlike anything the world has ever seen and could be all that stands in the way of the destruction of Gotham City as well as the whole planet. Uh, And we're going to be getting this December 11th as part of Black Label. Man, I don't know. I don't know about that plot. I'm here for Raphael Grappa's art, though. Jordi Belair is doing colors, too, it looks like, right? That's sweet. I see his, yeah, I see his name on the cover. Who's? Jordy's Jordy Belair. Jordy's a Yeah, one. yeah, sure. Oh, my but, bad. I didn't know that. But that's cool. <laughs> that is cool as hell. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they do amazing color work and, like, all the pinks and everything in the background on this cover. I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Raphael Grandpa has a style that's like, it's like Frank Quitely, but it's also really, like, scratchy and detailed at the same time like uh what's his name ramon villalobos yeah um and uh with contemporaries uh, such as like paul pope um i'm pumped about this that i'll pick this up on that art alone the the first page is very creepy (laughs) yeah (laughs) like very 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 creepy I'm going to read this. I'm I'm into it. You know, it's one issue. You know, I don't have any problems with Frank Miller. I'm not, I don't worship at his altar or anything. I'm, I'm, if I never, ever read anything by him again, I'd be okay in life. But this looks good. And uh, why not? I enjoyed the last thing of his that I read, which was the, uh, the Dark Knight Master Race. So might as well. Cool. Top Cow is launching its 2019 talent hunt. So this is something that Top Cow does every so often. I don't feel like it's yearly. I could be wrong. Uh, I, it's, I think it's pretty close to yearly. Yeah. Um, and it's a pretty simple concept. It's what it what it says it is. Uh, generally, they just they have you submit an idea for a story that involves their characters. Uh, normally, they outline like, oh, this time it'll be with, you know, Spawn or whatever. Not not Spawn, but like whoever it is. Um, this year it is the darkness, and so uh, oh, if you cool. are a yeah, <laughs> if you are a writer, you have to submit an eight-page story that features the darkness, and you can use any character you feel like using in the Top Cow universe. But um, you probably should stick to the darkness. Um, 
And I think it's I think writers do twenty pages. Is it the twenty? Is it twenty? Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Um, the, yeah, the writers do a twenty pager and the artists do eight pages, and the eight pages that the artists draw are from three sample scripts that um, that are provided by Top. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, you get a thousand dollars from Top Cow for winning one one writer and one artist will be chosen, and then you get to have published work. By they Top give you Cow. like not, a a run, right, or whatever. Uh, I don't think you're guaranteed to have a run. I think you're just guaranteed a published work, so like okay. a short story or you know something like that. Um, and the only real qualification is you can't have a major published work. So, so any um, any indie creator can apply. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like any 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 human. The list of things that they say you can't have worked for um, is pretty long. So even what we consider to be indie would would exclude you. You can't have. Okay, that's f- what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 most publishers you can't have worked for. Okay. Other than that, though, you're good to go, which I think is awesome. The reason why I included this is because I know that there are some talented people that listen to this podcast and I would love for you guys to be able to take that opportunity. Uh, the top cow talent hunt I've, I've often considered contributing to. Um, it's just, it, it really has launched careers. Uh, teeny Howard is a name that comes to mind as someone that, um, specifically has benefited from this. Wasn't this uh, how Ryan got involved too? Ryan Katie. I thought this was how he got into top cow. I feel like he was an intern or something. Oh, was know, he an intern first? I know he judges. He's one of the judges. Okay, okay. Or, or was last year when I submitted. Uh, I don't know if he. If I think I think Sean might bring. He might have been an editorial intern first and then just got hired. I know he was involved in this. Either way, that's why his name came up in my mind. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, this is just. I just think this is so cool that they do this, and I wish that more publishers had a more specific this is a way for you to get in with us to at least have yeah. a chance you know some kind of an opportunity um kill does this speak to you at all it's tough i i am not traditionally a fan of top cow i don't know that i've read anything by them that i have necessarily cared about i don't think their the their catalog is that strong uh, what appeals to me about it is is the fact that it is anybody right um like i uh, i tried last year with a uh a story based in their uh, what is it called a think tank maybe yeah yes yes uh sort of in that universe um and i i feel like i what i came up with i thought was you know really strong obviously it wasn't strong enough for me to you know win but i think the opportunity like you said is is very very generous did they give you feedback no 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 feedback okay because i know that sorry i think it's just uh they just kind of announced the winner they used to give feedback that's how you find out they they used to give feedback if you if you applied like early enough um oh oh yeah you're right no you're right you if you do it within a certain time uh, at least this is how it was last year. 
they are able to sort of give you feedback and, and point you in a, a certain direction. Yeah. Uh, but after a certain point, they just can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole initiative is gone now. <laughs> they got rid of that. All right. Unfortunately, yeah. That sucks. Um, that's yeah. That's this year then. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is. It is okay. new as of this year. Uh, so the deadline for this for anyone that is looking to do this is uh, February twenty eighth, twenty twenty. So you definitely have some time. Um, and yeah, shoot your shot. Best of luck to you. I would, as someone who has participated, I would I would highly recommend trying to figure out the research. They uh, their stuff isn't necessarily easy to get a hold of, and they. I th- I think last year they gave like the first volume of Think Tank uh on on their website. Um but I would I would hi- highly recommend doing your research, especially for the darkness because yeah. Think Tank was like a newer property. Yeah. The darkness is old and not only is the darkness old, but the darkness has like a very complicated origin with different people having been the darkness. I actually really like the whole Top Cow world. I haven't lived in it that much. (laughs) Do you want to explain that for the people? (laughs) If you've ever... (laughs) So the darkness is also a video game series. Yeah. uh, Which video game pal Thompson is a big fan of, and I watched him play through... Whichever the last one on the Xbox 360 was, I think it was Darkness 3. And uh, the, whenever the darkness talks to Jackie, that's how it says his name. And I I think it is like the... Like, it's very eerie in the game, but I think it's so fucking funny. Because it's like the idea that... Because like, he's not afraid of it anymore. So just the idea that you have this dick-ass like entity following you around just being like... John. Oh, <laughs> it's just like that would get really fucking. It'd be scary the first time, then eventually you're just like, shut the fuck up, darkness, God. <laughs> I, let me let me yeah, let me ask you this: Do you think this entity believes in a thing called love? Oh God. I mean, just listen to the rhythm of your heart, man. I I, I hope it does. And it doesn't have a heart though, so. Uh, all right. That's from um, the band, The Darkness. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, this last... I'm not even going to call it news. It's a rumor. And I'm going to get ahead of it and let you guys know that this rumor probably was created specifically in order to generate uh, um, buzz for a website. And I'm pretty sure it was specifically generated... I shouldn't say I'm pretty sure. I have a strong feeling that the only websites really reporting this are all, like, in the same network. I just, Mm. the way this is being reported, like, they all use the same verbiage and quote the same specific thing. Like, it just feels very, like, constructed. Um, But this is coming from Full Circle Cinema, who, if you want to subscribe to their blog via email... Uh, you would be joining 12 other subscribers if you were to do that. Just to give you an idea. <laughs> I was like, Sean, what the fuck? We have insider access over here at Full Circle Cinema. 
I thought he was either gonna he was either gonna steer it that way or he was gonna if you want to join their blog you can sign up for it at uh, the comics pals at gmail.com. I was like, are we? Is this an ad? Like, are we in the network? <laughs> we are the network. I came up with it. Sean um, is full circle cinema. <laughs> so I'm going to read the 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 idea, and 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 then you're 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 gonna react. That's the game. Is that how this show works? Yes. The X-Men could have a unique twist to them when Marvel Studios rolls out their inevitable reboot. Kevin Feige and co. are considering having people of color portray Magneto and Professor X in the MCU. Full circle cinema has learned. Now, first of all, before we even talk about anything else, I just love the matter-of-factness of that whole presentation, Mike. This is what we learned. learned. This is what we've learned. Who told us? Can't tell you. Don't know. (laughs) But we learned. Um, And they don't get into the specifics of what exactly they mean by that. But I extrapolated a lot out of that. And I want to have a discussion about it. Yeah, let's go for it. They say people of color. I don't think that. I think that means black. And I think that the the way to to circumvent Magneto, his origin obviously being so directly tied to the Holocaust, what else could you tie him to? If you have to, if 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 he needs to be rooted in like a deep pain kind of thing, but also something that allows him to still be alive and actively doing terrorism, is uh, the civil rights movement. Sure. Um, the 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 uh, the bombing of the Black Panther facility. Yeah. Comes. Uh, yeah. The real life Black Panther facility. <laughs> you mean not T'Challa's facility? <laughs> yeah. Not, not Wakanda. Magneto um, was there. <laughs> <laughs> so if so so yeah, just that, just that idea of of making uh, Professor X and Magneto both products of the civil rights era. And tying their their you know their passions and their movement to that movement um, is a clean way of solving the age problem that exists with those characters because they're tied to an era in which you would be dead or very geriatric if you are still alive. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> On first sort of. Hearing that, I I personally don't hate it. Um, the common rumor is that you know the characters are based on Martin Luther King and and Malcolm X, but that's since been it's not pretty true. yeah pretty debunked. Like it's not like I I think it following that line of logic makes sense, but if you actually look at the comics, like it doesn't it's not that can't be true. Not only is it is it false, but uh, like you said, comic book professor Xavier is not Martin Luther King, um, <laughs> and yep. it's pretty obvious that that Professor X was cleaned up for mainstream media, like in the yep. animated shows and in the movies. Yeah. So continue your point. Sorry. 
I, that's it. I like that 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 association on its face makes sense, but given that it's not true, and anyone who knows anything about the characters would know that's not true. So, Pete, what do you got on that? I I honestly don't I don't know because like you said it's clean like that is a clean explanation t- to give these characters a the the route that they need for Magneto to make sense in a way that's modern right and like obviously i think probably more definitely more relevant to american audiences you know uh, cause it's a, an American thing and it's something that we're like still struggling with to this day. And like, you know, there's no shortage of <clears throat> pop culture analysis drawing the comparison between the X-Men and minorities, you know? Um, so like it, it definitely makes sense. And I, I guess I kind of come down on it like the same way that, that I do with most of these things where it's like, it's really like the, the product that's important. Like, if it's good, then I, I guess it doesn't really matter, right? Um, that said, it does feel like – it feels weird because, like, I feel like Magneto is so attached to that time period. And, like, him not being a Holocaust survivor is something that feels like – I don't want to say like a like a betrayal to the character or anything like that. I don't think it's that drastic, but it it doesn't necessarily feel like um it feels like a clean solution rather than one where I'm just like, "Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense." You know what I mean? Like I I don't think it's it's something I inherently am against, but I I don't know that it's like uh I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, I guess. I have ruminated over this and I can tell you that it took me two seconds to be upset <laughs> because <laughs> because there are several problems. First of all, when you look at Magneto as a character, it's very hard to separate him from not only being Jewish specifically but being a holocaust survivor and as screwed up as everything that happened uh was during the civil rights era i feel like the person that the holocaust produces not not the person that the holocaust produces but the magneto that the holocaust produced makes sense to me and i understand why he becomes a terrorist. Whereas I'm not, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to explain this, but I'm not as cool. Like, I don't really want to see him just become a terrorist because of, of what happened during the civil rights era. I don't really, it, it, it sound this sounds crazy to say, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Cause we say what we want on this podcast. It doesn't feel drastic enough. It just, it just doesn't feel yeah I, part of magneto is that he's sympathetic because you understand that what he went through was awful and you don't justify it but you get it and 
I don't know. It just doesn't feel drastic enough. The and and the only example I could come up with was the bombing of that Black Panther facility, where you know the the government didn't want black kids to have breakfast, and that's not like you know not that I want to compare them, but like that to the Holocaust is kind of a kind yeah. of a tough one to compare. Yeah, the other problem. I, I, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that's like kind of where I'm coming from, where like it, it like it doesn't feel like a one to one comparison, you know, like genocide is 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 a whole other fucking right level. Right. You know what I mean? And like and, and like you said, like, I don't mean that to diminish those things being fucking horrible, but like genocide survivor becomes radical terrorist or revolutionary depending on your perspective that narrative makes per perfect sense yeah you know and i i just i don't know that it's like a a one-to-one -one comparison i really don't even if you want to remove the the comparison element of it the fact that for this to work in in at least in my mind and you you know feel free to disagree, they would need to have been adults already during the civil rights movement and have been, and had, they would need to have been people who were, uh, uh, active as, as, um, you know, mm. they, they would need to have been involved somehow. Whereas Magneto was a Holocaust survivor as a child. Right. And so the way, like, he grew up with anger in his bones from a very young age as opposed to an adult who had a bad experience. Okay, so uh, right in the middle of that conversation, Pete had someone come to his home and uh, a matter has come up that he has to deal with. So he had to go. We think he's okay. <laughs> he appeared to be fine, but uh, you never know. Um, day's, day's still young. <laughs> Uh, so, Kale and I will forge ahead, um, and I, I do want to continue this conversation because I do think that it's worth having because I, I feel like the MCU has a problem. They, like, to bring, they have a Magneto problem, and to a lesser extent, a Professor X problem that they have to solve, and even though this does present, like, a clean-ish way to do that, I stand by... The, the idea in my mind that I'm not even comfortable with the implication that those events spawned Magneto, that the, that the civil rights uh, era spawned a Magneto. Well, and not to, not to keep harping on this point, but like the worst thing I can think about is, is that event, right? The one that I've kept referencing. And the only thing I can, the only way I can sort of justify it is, Okay, Magneto was there as a kid, and he couldn't figure out why people were bombing this place that he's just he and other kids are just trying to get breakfast. Right. But that still that still doesn't like yes, that's terrible, and yes, I get it, and yes, it makes sense that he would be really fucking mad about it. But you're right, it just doesn't quite make a Magneto. Yeah, and then when you think about the way that the Black Panther Party has been portrayed, they've been portrayed themselves as terrorists. I wouldn't want to lean into that by a terrorist coming out of that, you know? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just murky. It's murky water, man. It's, and I think that Magneto's origin is perfect as it is. And mm-hmm. I would hate to see it altered really in any way. Um, I don't feel like there is anything clean because you could you could say maybe like if you made him Asian, um, you could talk about the internment camps that did happen on American soil. Um, sure. And that's an awful event as well. But, you know, not we're not I'm not trying to sit here and compare atrocities. Everything is awful. Um, Everything's awful. Yeah, literally. But the Holocaust is a specific, particular kind of awful in my mind when it when you're talking about events that a person could still be alive from obviously someone who you know was murdered in the genocide of native people to america they can't magneto cannot be from that right yeah Um, like like that's that's the only other one that could make sense right but so i don't know I just feel like this doesn't work and they're going to have to, if this rumor is real, which it probably is not, no, in my mind, and they need to try harder. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, the implication there, I think, is, it's, it makes sense and it's, it makes sense based on the rumors we've always heard about those two characters, but, listen, Black Panther did it better and it was a more poignant point yes i agree with that and the last thing that i wanted to say and that reminded me of it is that what happens if you tie them to something like that is it kind of it 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 kind of complicates their purpose so magneto is a he's strictly a mutant supremacist he doesn't care about human lives they're not valuable to him he, he's not going to kill just any human, but if people die during his actions, he doesn't he doesn't mind if they're not mutants. He don't give up. Look. Right. Now, if you attach him to the civil rights movement and you say he was an activist during that time or he was a child, I have a much harder time believing that he'd be okay with mass casualties if those casualties could be black. Yeah, and I think I also think it, it sort of adds a whole other level of target for him. Yeah. Exactly. It's certainly certainly not undeserved. It be it becomes but. too based in race. Like I'm not I'm just yeah. not interested yeah. in that. You know? Yeah. I, I I don't I don't know. That's never been a part Magneto's never been a a racist. Well the human the human mutant two different species conflict That's all you is need. enough. Exactly. Like, I don't want them to add on to that. It's not necessary. And I think I think even, even at its base level, equating the mutant human struggle to race, I think it, it, it makes a, a difficult comparison. Of course. And one that I think is unintended, uh, but I think it is definitely something that has to be accounted for. It does, and I also feel that that's, for me, that's outside the scope of what I need from these movies. I, I don't... The, mo- the movies especially. Yeah, yeah. I don't need that kind of... Where Black Panther took it was about as far as I feel like I need to go. And if that mm. franchise wants to delve deeper and talk about bigger issues and stuff, they've established that that's what they're doing over there. 
and I can handle it there. But I don't feel like you can have the X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and let them be the full breadth of what they can be when the baseline is not only are we mutants, but Magneto's a, a black a mutant black supremacist and Professor Xavier is a Martin Luther King standing. It just, just rubs me wrong. Yeah. It's too much. Miraculously, Pete has returned. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a guy who was supposed to show up at my house for an appraisal next week came today. Oh, so that's I, Yeah, it was really great. Um, he's like, oh, hey, I'm not supposed to be here today. Is it cool if I walk through anyway? It's like, no, but you're already inside doing it, so I guess. Like, the fuck, man? Uh, that's all right. Wild. Anyway, so uh, Magneto. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we pretty much had the conversation, So if you have any, but if you have anything else to add, feel free. No, I, I I feel like we covered it. That's that's really my my main sticking point is just that I don't know how you separate Magneto from, uh, like you said, being being Jewish and a Holocaust survivor, and I, I the that one to one comparison. As much as it feels like a clean solution, it it does feel like that recontextualizes the character in a way that I don't know works for him, you yeah. know. Because of how core that is to his identity. Let me play devil's advocate here for half a second okay. before we move on. Okay. What if it's Key and Pia? <laughs> Wait, was that a serious? <laughs> is that it? A... <laughs> the way you presented that, I was like ready for it, and then you said that, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, uh,. <laughs> If you have strong thoughts about that and you're a listener, uh, write in and let us know. Because I, I do think that of all the things that could possibly happen, as far-fetched as it might sound, I don't think that that's something that, even if it doesn't end up happening, you could say that they never even thought about. I think that it's reasonable that that's something that could have been considered. Yeah. If we could talk about it on this podcast, they've already thought of it. Yeah, I bet this came out of someone. I don't even know, man. Somebody, somebody in California saw uh, a note with Kevin Feige, a note and a Marvel business card right next to each other <laughs> that were like Malcolm X and MLK. Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, it's funny because. Uh, at the top, I mentioned how I felt like, you know, maybe these websites were in cahoots. And the three websites who uh, came out with this, the only three who had who had said it within two days of each other, um, all use the exact same poll quote from Kevin Feige to justify this, where he says that the future of the MCU is diverse and that Black Panther wasn't just a, a, a you know, one off or whatever. So, you know, in all reality, maybe they took it, they took that and ran with it as far as they could, you know, um, wow. <laughs> and uh, we took it even further. But, you know, hey, that's what we do on this podcast. So uh, we are going to jump into our reviews. We're going to be talking Event Leviathan number four and Powers of Ten number four. All right. So we're going to start with Event Leviathan number four. Uh, you guys reviewed uh, number three without me and weren't too happy with it uh i was also not there right yes uh it was pete and marco and phil those other guys Phil, yeah 
We all hated um, it. Yeah, and, and you guys were not fans. So issue four, did this did this change your mind? How are you feeling about this issue? I wouldn't say that it's changed my mind overall about Event Leviathan, but I think this was the first issue since the Zero issue that actually felt like somewhat meaningful. Like it, it, I felt like it actually moved the story forward a little bit again, so I was thankful for that. I certainly wasn't as bored as I was the last couple issues reading this one, but it's still not a book that I'm like super engaged with. I think like the art is still really good, and I do enjoy that, but... Aside from that, it's like it's still a lot of people sitting around talking around detective work and a mystery as opposed to actually like having an interesting detective thread narrative kind of thing. You know, like it doesn't feel like a noir noir story. It feels like a superhero story about a mystery rather than really exploring it in any meaningful way, you know? And this was even, more of that? Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I wouldn't even feel like it was a superhero story. Like, it, it's, it's... It's literally it's, about superheroes, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I feel like if you set... If, if Bendis set the beginning and the end of this at, like, an IHOP at four in the morning with all of these characters sitting around with coffee, just being like, hey, remember that time? <laughs> yeah. Like, that would make way more sense. So... This issue is is really uh, built around following up on what happened in issue three at the end where Superman pulls up on Amanda Waller when she's being pressed by some guys and um, uh, Leviathan's there and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Leviathan and his goons. Yeah. Um, and sort of getting into the, the whys and hows of... The fact that Leviathan was able to walk away from that conversation, from that encounter, um, and that Superman did not, you know, do what Superman does, which I like that Leviathan has all his plans involve Superman. I think that's really cool, and it's still the thing that I love the most about all of this whole thing, because in the Zero issue, we saw how... And it, it was in prior issues of Superman too, but like just focusing on the event Leviathan portion in the zero issue, we see that there are certain words that they don't say, you know, that, that in now we see that this mask, it, Superman cannot see through it. Um, mm-hmm. he, he has a way of escaping Superman if Superman wants to come at him and everyone knows that Superman has super speed. So for him to have a strategy, that allows him to stand in front of Superman and not be caught. I like that a lot because he clearly is not, or I shouldn't say clearly, but he doesn't appear to have powers. Leviathan, right? He has technology. So I really enjoy that. What I didn't enjoy is the dialogue. Uh, There was a lot. The dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. The dialogue. What dialogue? The Bendis dialogue? Whose dialogue? We gotta be the Bendis dialogue. All the dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm looking, I'm literally, I'm looking at a panel that says, don't chance it. I wouldn't, I agree. Okay. I'm literally looking at that same panel. Fucking. I mean, just look at this page, right? Like the last, those last three, they're just littered in fucking word bubbles, man. 
I was about to point out a page, but then I laughed at it because it's funny. Um, I, it, uh, it's <laughs> I opened up a random it, on page on purpose, huh? On purpose, I think so. Yeah, I, I I opened up a random page, and it's the page where one of several pages where everyone's staring at a screen, and Batman <laughs> says, "No, Lane is obviously working an angle," and in the next panel, Robin Damien says. Or she's working you. And then Batman says, you're working me. <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny. I like that. <laughs> you know what? You know, there, there actually were one or two like uh, moments that were genuinely... I, I thought were actually kind of funny. Um, the, the moment with the sniper in the tree... Where she's like, oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Lois. Like, she's like, what do you mean you're a big fan? She's a really interesting writer. And then she's like, don't kill her. It's like, I just said I was a fan. Like, I wasn't going to kill her. <laughs> Like I thought, I thought that was clever. I just like, I it's Bendis, right? And with ninety percent of of these characters, I I can get on board with all this banter. The two characters that I can't get on board with it are the Question and Batman. Mm. Batman doesn't banter. Like Agreed. the fact that he has a witty retort to Robin doesn't make sense. This is this like if it were if this were nineteen sixty. Like that would yeah, make sense, but sure. But like, twenty nineteen Batman doesn't banter. He broods and is shitty. Like, <laughs> I I normally agree with that comment. I think with the the only reason why that specific interaction worked for me is because that's his son, and mm-hmm. <laughs> Damien's a little I, douche, and I could see yeah. him being like, "Yo, you need to calm down. Exactly. <laughs> like, shut the a- fuck up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a father-son line, which I do get, but... I, yeah. I get what you mean in general. I, I think in that specific example, I agree with Sean, just because, like, that feels like a dad moment, and at the end of the day, Batman is a dad, but... Or fucking, fucking, I think it was, I think it was last issue where they find the, um, the Amanda Waller tech, no, it would have been issue two, the Amanda Waller tech in, uh, The Fortress of Solitude. Batman, I swear to God, would never ever say you're kidding (laughs) what (laughs) what nah yeah definitely not Uh, do do you know i i had i had one more moment i wanted to call out as i thought was effective with banter and it was because i thought he used batman uh well when it's when superman asks asks everyone to leave Right, and then he's like, "Everyone can head to the cave's kitchenette on the upper level." And um, what's her, who's the I forget her name in the red suit, Manhunter. Manhunter. She goes, "Wait, because he's Superman, we have to wait outside." And Batman just goes, "Yes." <laughs> it's a fact. <laughs> and then the that little banter with Green Arrow, I thought was pretty good too. Where he's like, "Well, I'm man enough to admit that I'm just a little that that hurts this fellow Justice Leaguer's feelings a little bit." But you understand, yeah. <laughs> yeah um but then then right after that superman's like you're a good man green arrow like okay yeah and it's like okay is is his identity secret i I, I guess so i guess I, I guess not everyone there knows yeah hmm. no he does he does call him he calls him ollie earlier actually so never mind that's yeah idiotic um so i feel like this series would be 25% better, yes, that's a random percent, if the Batgirl stuff was actually in the book. So yeah. there's a there's a whole subplot which is going to develop 
where uh, Batgirl is working her way into Leviathan. She's joined the, the squad. I guess she at some point she was approached, she accepted the offer, and now she's in the she's in the ranks. I don't know where that happened at. Or if that actually happened anyway. She was with Green Arrow at the beginning, they both got attacked, and I guess she got taken. So they could talk to her. In the same way that they took Amanda Waller. In the beginning. Where did that where did that I, happen? I don't think that actually happened. I think Green Arrow might just tell us that. I don't know. I don't remember I, that much anymore. I'm not that interested in this book if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> I caught up yesterday and between issue one and two there were like four different things that were really important that were just in the the catch-up the catch-up page and i was like where did this come from <laughs> like are there are there any tie-ins to this the only tie-ins that i'm aware of are the um the ones from Action Comics, which are loose. They don't really, like, the only thing that's happening is that Superman and Lois Lane tried to uh, go undercover to see if they can learn something about Leviathan in their, you know, undercover. Um, And they don't, from what I can recall. Um, So it didn't matter. But this, this, like, the Batgirl stuff, right? She's in danger. Because if someone finds out that she's, you know, a double agent, she could die. Like, that's actually interesting. And she's actually doing her job. Everyone else is standing around. And I contend that standing around when you are a superhero is not interesting. Especially if what you're standing around and talking about is not interesting. They're not any closer to knowing who Leviathan is now as far as I'm concerned, than they were when this thing started. Nope. And I'd be fine with that if Leviathan was doing something that they had to react to. But neither side is doing anything at all. Especially when they keep reminding you that it's like, the world's gonna fucking end tomorrow if we don't figure this out. And they're sitting around eating cookies. And, like, that's the thing that the story acknowledges, but doesn't do anything to remedy. And even the fucking woman who's the sniper in the tree is like, the world's going to end and they're all sitting at Bruce Wayne's house? It's like, yeah, why the fuck are we doing that? Well, and fucking, you know, it's revealed at the end, Lois has got a B team. Why aren't we following them? That would be a thousand times more interesting than whatever the fuck is going on here. Literally anything would be more interesting than what's going on here, because what's going on here is nothing. We have spent four issues sitting in different locations talking about who Leviathan is. We don't know. I don't know who Leviathan is. Who do you think he is? I don't know. We're the world's greatest detectives. Great. Go go detect some shit. <laughs> and uh, following up on, on what Kale said, we get the reveal of this, this side squad that Lois has assembled. And it's a pretty interesting crop of characters. The problem is that uh, if they do know something, I would rather have seen what they were doing. And I already know, because the series has conditioned me to know this, that the end of this issue will be addressed in the next issue as a flashback to something that we never saw. They're all together and they're like, all right, so here's what happened. Right, and they're just going to tell us what happened. So that removes all the urgency of it because they're all there, okay, and 
not dead. So we know that whatever we're about to see won't affect them because they're here now. And it's telling you it's the past. I want to see present tense danger and excitement and, and, and mystery and revelations. And this is issue four of six. So next issue, what? They're going to tell her who Leviathan is. And then Superman's going to oh, stop and, Leviathan. And, and that'll be the end. <laughs> Unfortunately not, because there's another issue. No, that's what I mean. That'll be the end of that issue. Oh, and right. then Superman will go stop the... Exactly. And then, well, and and then it'll end. And it's so fucking frustrating, man, because like, why is everything told in a flashback? Why is every single thing, every... Anytime any event happens, right? We set up a cliffhanger in the last issue, right? Why yeah. not just show the fucking conflict? Why does it flash forward? Oh, my God. Superman's so fucking tired and, oh, my God, that really enhanced the story for me to get a page of them quipping about the fact that Superman's freaked out. Like, and it's and then we go, oh, an hour ago. Here's what happened. Oh, a minute ago. Here's what happened in this other room. It's like, just fucking cut there. Like, yeah. why is everything a fucking flashback? Every goddamn thing in this story is just, here's how it happened. It, it's, it's breaking the number one cardinal rule of storytelling, which is show, don't tell. And all this book is is telling me that cool people did cool things. Great. Somewhere else. I don't care. I'm, I don't care. I gotta say... Also, the art's not that great. Damn. In general I, or in this issue? In general. I am not a fan. Really? <clears throat> yeah. There's I a just, lot of I it I do like. I just don't I don't care for it. Yeah. I I liked I liked Malieve on Daredevil, and I would probably like him on like a question series, but just there's nothing here that feels like it works for me. I so I I didn't feel as high on the art this time around as I have in the past. Um, it 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 didn't it wasn't as clean. I didn't feel. Um, some of the as, conversations look a little scratchy compared to some of the previous issues. Yeah, I'm not overwhelmingly happy with his Superman. Believe Superman. Um, I did like that one page where we kind of see him flying uh, up into the sky and the, the dialogue boxes kind of, you know, twist. Um, That's the lettering. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. There wasn't anything specifically to praise. I didn't have big time trouble with the art, but it was this is the first time where the art didn't didn't um, enhance what was present. I would agree with that. I'm surprised to hear Kale say, say that he feels that way in general, more so than to say that he feels that way about this issue. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like I said, I, I caught up yesterday with the whole series and I just didn't care for any of it. I don't... Fair enough. I don't... I, maybe it's the, you know, the, the storytelling going along with it, but I just don't... I don't care for his his figures. I don't care for, you know, his action just doesn't never really works for me i don't feel like he's had much to work with there's a lot of people sitting around looking at screens yeah that too this is I don't that know. doesn't help if you're an artist are you 
are, are you super inspired by this issue? Honestly, like, there's nothing to do. Yeah, right? Like, you got you didn't get into comics, superhero comics, to draw people sitting around in rooms talking. Let's let's talk about Powers of X. I, I, I'm, I'm not... I don't hate Event Leviathan. I'm still intrigued by it, but by far, it is not what I was hoping it would be. And definitely in light of Event Leviathan or uh, Leviathan Rising Special, number one, that dropped before this series started, this is a far cry in terms of quality from what that was. Even the Bendis part. Yeah, it's been a major letdown. And like, I I don't know that I feel dramatically enough about it to say that I hate it, but (laughs) like I nothing it. Like, I, I definitely don't enjoy reading it. Like, when I woke up this morning and I was like, oh, cool. Like, what, what do we like? What do I want to read that? You know, what do I have to read this morning for the show? Like, I'm so excited to get into powers. Oh, fuck. Event Leviathan's out this week. I don't want to read that. Like, it's 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 a book I do not look forward to. I think for me, it it's sort of. Sorry. It it sort of it it feels for me about the same way Dooms uh, not Doomsday Clock Heroes in Crisis. I feel a bit like all right. I guess I'm in it to see who the fuck did it, and I'll probably hate it. But uh, we're here now, so that's not good enough. I we we talked. Oh, we, no, I wholly agree. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit during the Heroes in Crisis review, so I won't like belabor the point, but. These mystery stories, if the mystery is the most interesting thing, then you failed. And I think that Identity Crisis is a great example of what I'm talking about. Because whether you like that book now in 2019 or you don't, whatever, that book is very interesting. Uh, Especially the first time you read it, if you don't know what happens. There's a lot going on, and it's about the way that the events affect the characters, not necessarily about them figuring out who did the event. And that's a very different thing. And when you're telling mysteries, it cannot be plot first. It has to be character first. Yes, the characters are reacting to the event, but the event cannot be the best thing about the story. It has to be how the characters feel about what happened. It has to be. Because even in even in identity crisis, the stuff that does actually happen off screen is referenced, and you it feels like it mattered. Yeah, absolutely. And this just, it doesn't. It just doesn't. This and event it, has no fucking heat at all, at all. And it sucks because he's like Bendis is known for his noir stuff, his street level stuff, a series about off the wall detectives set in the DC universe should have been right up his alley. And it's amazing how this has turned out. Like if every one of these issues was one of these people trying to solve the mystery, that would be something that was compelling. Seeing them all yeah. sitting around like being like, oh, what the fuck's going on? It's not interesting. It wasn't interesting once. It hasn't been interesting four times. That's for fucking sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Maybe he'll stick the landing. Maybe it'll be great in the end. It has to be two amazing fucking issues, I'll tell you what. How how 
how does Action Comics feel right now? Do you know? I'm three issues behind, but when I was actively engaged, uh, I was enjoying it. I I haven't had any problems with it. Um, Action has moved beyond this at at this point. Um, uh, Superman was never about this, but if you're asking me... From like, how does Bendis's work feel? I, I that's what I'm, I. I think that's more what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, I've I've enjoyed those books a lot. Because hmm. I I read finally got around to the Legion Millennium Special Part One anyway, and boy, I was let down. Uh, it was cool to see Batman Beyond, but yeah, that's about it. Ugh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a the Bendis count the the wider Bendis conversation. Uh, we'll have to have another day, but for now, Event Leviathan uh, disappointing us, to say the least. But let's move on to something that we've not yet been disappointed by, and maybe today is the day. Uh, we are talking about Powers of Ten number four. So this issue strays a little bit from where the last issue of Powers left us, uh, because it it uh, it delves into Mister Sinister and someone on this podcast specifically asked when are we going to see Sinister make his grand debut in this series and here we are here we are yeah it was it was Phil right oh okay yeah I was I was like, like, did I ask that yeah it was, it was <laughs> Phil um so yeah what did you guys think of this issue <laughs> it was interesting uh there were, it definitely had a way different tone than any other issue in the in the series so far, it was the first one that like had any co- like comic relief or anything that wasn't like absolute tense like high stakes stuff. Um, and I actually kind of felt like that was like it caught me off guard at first, but I didn't hate it. Um, and, and I I felt like at this point in the story like having an opportunity to take a breath and like answer the question of what's been going on with Sinister and how that plays into everything else that we know in like a lighter issue, like actually felt appropriate to me. Um, but it also answered slash raised, I guess a few other really interesting questions that I'm excited to delve into a little bit more when we get into it. Yeah. Uh, Kale, what, what about you, man? What are you, what were your initial feelings? Yeah, I, I, similar to Pete, I, I think it's, it's funny to sort of see, um, Hickman stretch a slightly different muscle here. Cause I, he is a very good writer, but it's, you know, like, like he said, going from those hardcore events of the last couple of issues of, of House to, to Powers and to this specifically is like it it really is a a breath and and while it is a bit of a a a silly breath i guess you would say like it i i was sort of put off at first but then i was i feel like it was a bit i i I realized that i want i welcomed it yeah i i don't necessarily i don't necessarily know that it's what i what i would have gone for but I appreciate it. It isn't what I wanted. It's what I ended up needing and not, not knowing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. This. So for I'll, I'll put it out there. I never cared for this version of Sinister. 
This version was created by Kieran Gillen during his uh, Uncanny X-Men run. And I don't love the sassy, snarky, sinister as much as the rest of the internet. And I totally get why he's popular, and I think that's cool, and I'm I'm all for it. But I just like, I don't know. I like Sinister as an obsessed geneticist who, you know, wants Cyclops and and Jean Grey's babies to be his. You know, standard. Yeah, regular stuff. Normal stuff. Yeah. But (laughs) uh, I think that he, the capacity in which he was used here worked really well. And I loved seeing the conversation that uh, Professor X and Magneto have with him and all of them. Um, and I love the way that... So, Professor X tells Sinister, I want you to get back to, you know, cataloging and messing with the DNA of mutants. And not only are you going to do that, but I'm going to remove this memory of this conversation from your mind. Um, and you're going to remember it when you need to. And so he removes it from his memory, but that's not... And not just, sorry, not just, not just you're going to remember it when you need to. You're going to remember, you're going to remember it when I need you right. to, when I tell you to. <laughs> I love, I love seeing Professor X like that. Um, and it's a constant reminder, even though Sinister's a villain, that, that, that aside, it's a constant reminder of Professor X's desperation. That he's willing to not only wipe your brain of a specific thing, but then force you to remember it later. I think that's really yeah, He's great. a son of a bitch sometimes. Uh, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I There is a word I would use. I don't know if desperation is it. Oh, okay. Well, what, what would you use? I, I, I mean, I, I think I'm on the, on the same level. He's a real son of a bitch. Hey man, he can be man. Yeah, for my people, will I will I do that to 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 Mister Sinister? Yes, sure. yes, I will. Somebody's, I mean, somebody's got to make those hard moves. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, what's that quote from him? I think it's on the last page. I'm not. Uh, oh my god, it's a really good line. Let me see if I can find it here. Oh yeah, I'm not afraid of what I've done, but I do fear what it will one day cost, Professor X. What a line. <laughs> Yeah, but re- real quick because it's certainly not the focus of this issue. I fucking love Magneto's role in this entire conversation. Yes, yes. like he says almost nothing, and he's just like uh, enforcer. <laughs> but like the few things he says are so great. Like I-, I, I love the banter with him and Sinister, where he's just like, "You do have a certain air about you." There's no denying that, and he like compliments his cape and shit, like. <laughs> he, I thought that dude, was great. Sinister, he feels like a McElroy character. <laughs> like <laughs> it's psst, it's me, the Sinister with the mutant gene. Yeah. And if you must know, my mutant power is overthrowing tyrants and being absolutely fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> but like I fucking I love when Magneto throws the Sinister that they meet through. Like he's like pushing them up against the wall. 
And <laughs> Charles is like, Eric, we need this man. And he's like, no, Charles. This man needs to decide if he wants to escort us inside or if he wants to continue thusly and suffer the consequences. Two minutes later, they're just in the throne room. <laughs> it's like, Magneto, don't put up with your ableist bullshit. <laughs> he's like, yo, fuck this guy. He's like, we got shit to do. I'm not about to get like fucked with this red tape while he fucking high roads you over here. Like, get, fuck this guy. And and we've never we've never well I shouldn't say I shouldn't say never, but I have not in a modern X Men book seen Professor X and Magneto have much of a relationship, let alone one where they're like going on missions together. Lock and, step. Yeah, like yeah, on the same page to this level. It's cool as fuck, honestly, because like it's again, it's a thing that's been. You know, you know they have that relationship. They have worked together before. It happens once in a while. But, like, this whole arc is, like, them as, like, the leaders of mutant kind. And it's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I want to point out a quick retcon because there is a retcon. The retcon is that um, this bar sinister thing and all these sinister clones, uh, that is a thing that was created way more recently than when this event would be taking place. Okay. Um, so basically all that means is that they're, they're, um, they're moving up when Sinister actually did all this to himself and created this place. Okay. Uh, so, you know, just a little, just a little note there. That is interesting. Cause it, it was created for uh secret wars, right? For Hickman's secret wars. Yeah. No, um, Bar Sinister was, yes. Bar, Bar Sinister yeah, was. Yeah, specifically Bar Sinister. Yeah. That's what I... Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait, one more thing on Sinister. You know what was my favorite, uh, like, quippy line that, that Hickman gave him was the one where he's like, well, honestly, I'm not surprised word is getting out. I do amazing work. <laughs> Such a fucking dick. <laughs> so, laced throughout this issue is something called the Red Diamond, which is the gossip column, I guess, for Bar Sinister, for all the Sinisters. And uh, there are several Sinister secrets. I believe uh, what is it? Ten to be exact? Pretty sure? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, so there's ten Sinister secrets and two Sinister secrets revealed. Now, all of these are relevant. It's just a matter of how much you have an awareness of the X-Men to be able to piece these together, and some of yeah. them we're not supposed to know right now. So, uh, first of all, have any of you, have either of you looked any of these up already? Do you know things? I, I read the Polygon coverage of, of this issue. Okay, so I, cool. Yeah, they covered it all pretty. I, I didn't look them up. I just, like, guessed the ones that I knew and assumed that you would come ready to inform me on the ones I didn't. I see. Okay. Um, so, sinister secret number one is he's trying to pretend that no one noticed he was wearing red shoes, but this truly sinister sinister isn't fooling anyone. Uh, this one I didn't have an awareness of. Kale, why don't you pull up the Polygon article, because I think that might be interesting to do. My man? Awesome. I'm a professional. Awesome. <laughs> um, so... Uh, the two guys, even even the two guys that Polygon is pulling as professionals here for this are um, flummoxed by it. 
The first one uh, says that it might be a reference to Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. The second one says that the Red Shoes is the name of a fairy tale that concerns a woman who refuses to take off her excellent heels and so is cursed by an angel to endlessly cut a rug. I guess dance. Right. Um, what it has to do with the issue, don't know. Hmm. All right. Uh, that leaves me cold. Uh, Sinister Secret number two. And speaking of fashion, the Whisper Network has turned into a roar regarding the return of this trend-setting mutant who was cut down in his prime. Will someone please tell all these mutants to stop wearing human clothes and join the stampede across their island full of flowers to the flower that's the fullest? So, I thought of Cyclops. Um, a mutant cut down in their prime. Cyclops died, you know, in the prime of his life and recently has returned. Um, in terms of trend setting, uh, that I don't know so much, but. Yeah. The human clothes thing was the, the thing that threw me off the most. Because I don't, I don't know what that has to do with. Cyclops specifically, you know. So, so these uh, Polygon says that it's, and they're pretty explicit about this. They say it's a reference to J- uh, someone called Jumbo Carnation, uh, who is a mutant fashion designer who appeared in New X Men One Thirty Four and died from a kick overdose while being attacked by humans. Uh-huh. Uh huh. His return could be in the form of mutant fashion. Uh, mutant fashion taking off. Sorry, his his return could be in the form of mutant fashion taking off, given how many dead mutants are popping back up. That okay. could, that could be literal. Yeah. Uh, okay. And apparently, Hickman is super into mutant fashion, whatever that means. Okay. The next one is very interesting. I'm not going to read absolutely all of these, by the way, but um, I do think this is interesting. Uh, years ago, a deceased red-headed pretender made a pact with the devil when she passed on most believe that any secret she had went with her to the grave won't everyone be surprised when they find out not only is this not true but she left behind a whole lot more than secrets so this is sorry is that madeline uh yes this is this is a yeah. reference to uh madeline Pryor, the, the goblin queen i'm actually pretty surprised you got that on your first try piece yeah, I didn't expect you to know that. I know my shit. <laughs> Since when? Um, Historically. Yeah. I just take a lot of drugs. I don't know. <laughs> That's really crazy. And I wonder if it has anything to do with the second segment of the book, which is Professor X and Cypher at Krakoa, where we learn about uh, the, the, the schism uh, that, that took place over there. But uh, we'll get into that maybe a little more later. Um, Kale, what what do you have? Uh, the last, it seems like the last thing Madeline Pryor did uh, was she was Mad- the Madeline Pryor from Battleworld, briefly mentored the time-displaced Hank McCoy in The Art of Black Magic in X-Men Blue. Huh. Um, and I guess this spe- this specific version was the Inferno-era Goblin Queen. I see. Okay. Uh, but nothing, nothing too uh, uh, concrete from other than what you said. So the sinister secret revealed, one of two that we get, is really wild, actually. Um, 
Certain people are wondering where the tyrant dispelling Sinister got his mutant gene. And while that really isn't an interesting story, whom the DNA really belonged to is, and it gives us the answer. The answer is um, Jonathan Proudstar, Thunderbird. Now, he's dead. He's been dead. He died a really long time ago and was replaced by his brother. Um, he died... Um, Oh, man, he was one of the mutants that that was a part of the next wave of mutants. So Wolverine and oh, all oh those. shit. OK, yeah. And he died and his brother um, took over. And this is saying that Sinister used is used. His, he, he he took his DNA, basically, and, and, and used it. Do you can you recall his brother's? I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I sh- I should know this. His I, I, his I, brother is I can't remember. No, I can't remember. Was he on X Force at some point? Yes, yes. When they were all in black. Yes, he's the big okay, the I big know. yeah yeah yeah. I know who you're talking about. So yep. it's, okay, it's a, so it's uh, John James. James is the first one, right? It says his brother James Proudstar, known as known. Oh, okay, 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 okay. No, so James is I guess his brother. Right. He was yeah. Warpath and then took over. Warpath. Yes. Yeah. Warpath. Thank there you. we go. So we got there eventually. <laughs> um so Shit, there, yeah, that there, is interesting. I do I remember him. Yeah. There are a couple others. Sinister Secret number seven. Uh basically I'm not even gonna read it because it's so obvious. It insinuates that there are more Summers brothers than the ones that we know about. And yeah. we know about Scott, we know about Alex, we know about um Oh my God! What's his name? Uh, Vulcan, and that's it. But this is insinuating that there are even more than that, which is pretty interesting. Um, Do you think it's possible they're referencing Vulcan? Because it says many wondered if there was a third. Many, many wondered if there was a third. If we told you there were more, would you believe uh, me? Ah, okay. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. That sounds deliberate. Good point. It's uh, so the Polygon article says that. Um, Adam X, the extreme, uh, created by uh, Fabian Nicesia, had intended uh, Adam X to be the third Summer's brother, but that didn't pan out, and I guess those elements became Vulcan's story. Gotcha. Hmm. So I guess according to this Polygon article, it's possible that we could see something related to Adam X being a an actual Summers brother. Okay. So I'm going to read two more. The Sinister Secret revealed, the last one, is we don't hear this word spoken often, so when we do, it's best to pay attention, because when you square that circle, what took a long time to build can come crumbling down rather quickly, and the word is Inferno. So that's two references now to that event. And, again, what took so long to build can come crumbling down rather quickly. To me, that's a reference to everything that has been built in the House of X. Yeah. So I wonder if if Madeline Pryor slash Inferno is involved with with the downfall, eventually, of of the House of X. Um, So Polygon specifically notes that um, the demons in Inferno were mixed with the techno-organic virus. Right. Which is basically just very similar to the phalanx. 
Yeah. And then the last Sinister Secret is which brainwashed mutant Sinister was replaced long before a certain bald somebody knew and has been in on the game for almost as long as the game was being played. Clearly, that is telling you that the Sinister who um, Professor X mind wiped is 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 uh is not he's not the sinister we deal exactly with. he's not the same sinister that they end up dealing with later and that he doesn't he he does remember everything because he heard it and was there so that's a huge huge wrinkle in this story the other two that that stuck out to me that were obvious were five is supposed to be wolverine right like it's the best there is of what he does so that's like a pretty obvious one and then it's, it's it's a reference to the to the to the triangle. Apparently, right, it's yeah, the yeah. quadrangle. Yeah. Well, I I was wondering if that was supposed to be a nod to Emma, maybe. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So so the uh, the man who's the best there is at what he does is having an affair with the married woman who's Jean. Yeah. Right. But her husband can't say much because he's doing the same thing. Right. Cyclops doing the same thing with Emma. Yes. And then eight was. Apocalypse. Yeah. 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 Right. Specifically, uh, Polygon points out that it it seems like it might be a reference to Marvel Comics 1000. Um maybe it's it's specifically mm. a reference like we see it in this very issue. The 4, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so what what this one says is uh uh this seems to imply that the horsemen are somewhat of a first love for Apocalypse. And that anyone else he uses will just, uh, he'll toss them aside for them if they return. Right. So the, the next segment of the book is really just kind of a long sort of history lesson about Krakoa. We learn about um, Krakoa and the, the schism and all that. I thought I, that was actually my favorite part of the issue, I think, just because I love spending time with Professor X and we're getting to see you know the language sort of being born and all that I thought that was really cool and getting more history about this island um, and then it ends with a little bit of the 1000 gear stuff and that was probably my least favorite sequence of everything the the story of um... sorry you're saying the issue ends with that the yeah, ascension the... stuff yeah oh, yeah okay okay that threat, that threat in general, is the least interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think I think it's because it's the most abstract, and it, it feels very removed from everything. You know, yeah. and like they really haven't done much to connect it. I'm sure it'll make sense in time. Everything else has. Yeah, but right yeah. now I'm just like whatever. Like, what does it mean? Why is it important? That's there's what I something know. wild going on with that because yeah. They're obviously trying to trying to play the phalanx, and and the and the phalanx either isn't doesn't know, and these you know these blue people have won, or they're on board and are playing the same game. Right. Yeah, it remains to be seen, but we really haven't been given enough to go on. I don't feel. One thing I just wanted to point out real quick um, in. The uh, the Krokoa scene with uh, Professor X and um, uh, Cipher. Uh, Professor X is wearing a, a pith helmet and sort of like that um, 
um, I guess you'd call it like a the great white hunter outfit, you know, of the the explorer yeah. that goes out and um, so it's it's referenced uh, Polygon references uh, that this was also a uniform that uh, his sister Cassandra Nova yeah wore in Grant Morrison's yes own. hmm that's really interesting I wanted to put a little bit more context on that. And I don't what this will uh, affect. I don't know, but that that uh, sort of uh, archetype, the Great White Hunter, is very uh, colonial. You know, it's very uh, this person goes in and asserts the white dominance in you know the, uh, the savage land of Africa, and you know um, that's like their uniform. Uh, so the fact that he's sort of gone and you know, supposedly tamed this ungreat this uh, <clears throat> this untamable land of the great Deku tree or whatever on Krakoa is uh, <laughs> is uh, I don't know a little telling, I guess, for me. Yeah, you feel like that means something. Yeah, yeah. I love that connection because I think that's really interesting. But I feel like it might be more. I don't know. I feel that Professor Xavier genuinely does want to um, have a relationship with with Krakoa rather than just use and abuse it. Sure. But is the relationship on his terms as opposed to Krakoa's? Krakoa appears to have a will and mind of its own that I feel like it would be dangerous for Professor Xavier to try to dominate. Yes, but if he does, then, you know, maybe he can set forth his, you know, his will or whatever. The other thing is that we know that Krakoa is alive in the 100 year, and Mm -hmm. Professor X presumably is not. Well, oh, wait a second, because that's that's in Life 9, not 10. Yes. Wow. This is 10. And nine, Krakoa was part of Apocalypse's squad. Huh. Very, very, very interesting. Yeah. Something there, there's about. some big there's some big implications here. Yeah. Uh we're getting we're getting pretty close to time. I we never really said how we f- like if we actually enjoyed this issue. Uh I really enjoyed this issue because it is a little bit of a break from some of the heavier stuff that's been going on, which is fine. And it it does um, bring up a lot of questions that seem like they're relevant. Some some it's hard to say how relevant they're going to be. What I guess I didn't like as much is that given that this is issue four of six and the powers and how stories have been fairly separate, it feels like they threw in a, a like a couple of monkey wrenches that I'm not convinced are going to actually factor into the 12-issue run of, of House and Powers, and that I would really love to be feeling like we're on the road to the endgame of the Powers storylines. And since we're not, that, that I don't know how to feel about that. Like, although I loved seeing the Krakoa stuff, although I loved seeing the Sinister stuff, and I think that that's probably relevant, does it factor into how this is all going to resolve? 
I I wonder if Powers is going to be more of the the story of Hickman's sort of endgame with the X Men. Um, because isn't he he is this it? Is, no, or is he doing more? He's definitely yeah. doing the main X Men title and uh, New Mutants, I believe. And he also like is shepherding the brand kind of yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah. So I I think Powers will sort of be his his sort of way to push through his his bigger narrative for the X-Men. Um, so the stuff that we are bringing up as questions here in 15 years when he finally ends his X-Men run, hmm. we'll, 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 you know, look back and go, oh, shit, that was, that was that sinister. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's probably some truth to that. Uh, in terms of my thoughts on this individual issue, I, I enjoyed it. Again, I, I really do think all of these issues have been good. And um, after the two-part suicide mission, I definitely agree that this was the issue that we needed, uh, even though I didn't realize it going into it. Um, that being said, this was the first issue where I felt like the future storyline is like starting to kind of wear on me a little bit in terms of just like, shit or get off the pot with it. Like, tell me what's happening or why did we even waste time with this? Because I, all of the other timelines and stories have woven together, and I understand them now. And the things where I still have questions are questions that, like, I'm confident will will have answers to. Whereas for this, I'm just kind of like, I don't really see how this connects to anything, and I don't know what answer you could tell me that will make that entire like my journey with that part of the story like matter anymore. You know, and I I, I think if anyone can, it is a writer like Hickman. But if he doesn't, I'm gonna feel like, man, I wish that those that that those pages had gone to something else. And I don't want to feel that way at the end of this because I've loved it so much. And if my if my takeaway from that timeline is like, well, what the fuck was even the point of it? Like, I'd rather have known what happened in six and five, and you know, what whatever, what is going on with Madeline Pryor? Like, I I want to know all this stuff, and I'm convinced that. A lot of it will be answered after the event is over, and that's fine because as of right now, I'm intending to keep reading because I'm enjoying it. So if that's where we land on it, fine. Like, that that makes sense. But if we don't, or if it is a thing like Kale said where I got to wait 15 years for an answer, maybe we didn't need to start that thread right now. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Hickman, Hickman is very much the type of writer, especially in... And and we know this from like the X, uh, the Avengers. His Avengers run on uh, Infinity. He's he's not the type of writer that plans something and then lets it go to waste. Right, and that's the thing. That's the thing. I love that. Like that's a, that's the thing that that Kirkman did a lot in Invincible. That was a big part of why it appealed to me. You know, is that like no no kernel was left unpopped, even if it took a long time to get there. So like Hickman's. I, I, I've done nothing but praise this book for, like, fucking 10 weeks at this point or whatever it is. Like, the guy is – he's earned enough rope to hang himself here. Like, I'm confident that he didn't introduce this for no reason, and I'm confident that eventually it will mean something. And because he's done such a good job, I'm on for the ride. So the fact that, like, I didn't enjoy that aspect of this issue as much as, I, as I've as i enjoyed every other issue is, like – Okay, cool. So this one was like a 9 out of 10 instead of a 10 out of 10. That's whatever. I don't give a fuck. It's great. The metric for these is like insane. You know, like. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, it's just weird to me that there are 
there's collectively four issues remaining and we have to get at some point we have to know about Morris six life right mm-hmm. uh and or what she's doing in this one right and we have to get to a place where those series that have been announced can happen right now they cannot happen so that's a lot of ground if i trust anyone to do it it is jonathan hickman um, but you know he's got his work cut out for him, and I sincerely hope that he pulls it off. Now I'm going to end with a theory because I always have a theory about these damn things. I believe that in the 1,000 year, the elder that they're saying um, uh, inserted himself into the Phalanx Collective or whatever is Professor Xavier. See, I think Nimrod is Professor Xavier. Huh. I wonder if Cerebro has sort of grown and he uh, becomes Nimrod. But then that would mean you're talking about like the mini Nimrod, right? Yeah, the one in the future, the little the guy. mini Nimrod is just an extension of the... So you think that Professor X has always been Nimrod? Yeah. Whoa. Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's just when I, when I was looking at reading this issue and looking at the notes and stuff from polygon i went huh i bet that's professor x hmm. it just struck me i don't know okay interesting okay because it, it sort of makes that sense word. that he's 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 wearing this you know this helmet that you know amplifies his power but also sort of is sort of taking away you know his humanity hmm you know, in that it's obscuring his face and we can't see his eyes. And, you know, I think especially eventually in that first year or whatever in house where, you know, you see both both sides of the, the technology with, with Beast, but also the Krakoan technology. I kind of feel like at some point we might see Professor X sort of meld with it all. And if you if based on what i said earlier about the colonialist implications of his you know his outfit his his pith helmet if he forcefully made krakoa bend to his will that would be a a real easy takeover and you know he he binds with the machine yeah yes and whether you're right or wrong i we have a very similar uh belief that Professor X will, in some way, shape, or form, eventually meld with technology. I said that I thought he was the librarian last time, and now I'm saying that he has inserted himself into the phalanx, uh, you know, mind, whatever. Um, so I think that there's there has to be some truth to that. The fact that he said... I am ascending or ascension or something like that in relation to himself in the last issue of House, I feel was deliberate. The fact that his face has been obscured mostly by Cerebro, I think is deliberate. And I also think it's deliberate that he is the only character that I can think of, uh, the only like major X-Men character that I, unless I'm mistaken, has not been in any of the solicited imagery or any of the titles that are coming out of Dawn of X. Mm. That, and I think that that may be because he will not be around. <laughs> Again. Again. But uh, we'll leave it there. There's a lot more we could say, as always, with these with these issues. They're, 
if nothing else, they spark a ton of conversation. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're reading House and Powers, let us know your thoughts. Uh, we enjoy them quite a bit over here. And uh, we're always excited to have that conversation. So if you have thoughts and feelings you want to share with us, uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. If you want to leave a comment uh, when you're checking us out on your podcast hosting platform of choice, you can certainly do so. We will read them. Uh, and while you're there, make sure to leave us a like. Of course, they help us out. Um, and uh, on social media, same deal. If you want to hit us up on social media to talk about this book, that's awesome and welcome. And while you're there, leave us a like. You know, all the stuff that uh, that helps us out is free to do, and we really appreciate it. So before we jump off, I want to also let you guys know about our book clubs, of which there are several. By now, we've been doing this for over a year, and it's a, it's a thing that we really enjoy doing. Hopefully, you guys do enjoy listening to them. If you have any suggestions for a book club that you'd like to hear from us, feel free to shoot that our way. Uh, we have a track record of doing the suggestions, the reader suggestions on the show, um, or, you know, doing book clubs of them. So, um, yeah, we will definitely uh, do yours. Howard the Duck was one. Yeah. Uh, well, we did, um, oh, one of the geez. guys that always writes in, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember who, was it Ryan? I feel like it was Ryan, but I don't remember the exact book. Ryan suggested Klaus, actually, I think. Oh, there you go. Oh. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we've also got we've got a couple fun ones on up uh, on the horizon. Silver Surfer Requiem is the next one in the pipeline. If you want to read along and be prepared for that to drop, uh, and then after that we've got Uzumaki. So um, lots of fun stuff on the way. If you want to read ahead, and make sure that you're all caught up by the time the book club drops, so that you can uh, listen along without getting anything spoiled. Be part there of the conversation. Go. All right, let's do some plugs, Pete. Thanks for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. Um, now that we're at 151, you've caught them all. Good for you. Uh, too bad there's probably another 150 or more to see. <laughs> well, not not too I bad. Mean, it's a good thing. I had to try. We're going to grow just like the Pokemon universe. So before you know it, there will be 800 of us, and you can't stop us. They'll, we'll, we're going to sand off all the rough edges, and it'll be very child-friendly. That'll That'll work, right? Um, <laughs> maybe we'll get that. Maybe we'll get that Disney sponsorship we've been trying. To- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so if you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about Hoxpox. I am so obsessed with these books, and I would love to hear your thoughts and theories. Uh, aside from that, you can catch my other work over at uh, LootPots.com, where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Podcast, as well as the Patreon exclusive show After Dark. So you can go check that stuff out if you want to get some more content from me over there. Uh, and uh, anything else I can do, you can find over at PeteAndBessie.com. Awesome. Kill. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ToadoInto. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, that's on Twitter and Instagram. Did I say that? Yeah. I think I got so. lost. Uh, I just I just uh, wrote a real short review thread on the uh, the latest Common Writer series, uh, Zio. Um, yeah, it was fine. So don't need to go look up that. Uh, you can find the rest of my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Uh, you can find uh, the comics I do, as well as the podcast I do with my wife, um, Gone Global. Uh, this week we talked about uh, what we did on our summer vacation. So if you uh, wondered where I was t- for two months, uh, you can go find out. I tell you my address and uh, my mom's address, and um, I, I think I dropped several family members' address. So What? Um, 
Kale doxes his family live on the air. Yeah, nobody's gonna listen to this, so uh, I gotta tune in. Yeah, if you if you want access to bad credit and terrible decisions, listen to Gone Global. Nice, right up my alley. As for me, you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about comics. You know, comics. It's a great time to be a fan. I feel. Damn, dude. Uh, and the other guys, did, did someone plug them? Uh, no, Marco right now is at SPX in Washington, D.C. That's not going to matter for when you hear this, but uh, if you want to hit him up and talk to him about it, he's at Mr. Marco Inamoto on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, Phil's got a cool song for his. It's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P. That's Cyborg Beep. Awesome. And with that, the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.